Hello Storygoers, and welcome back to another episode of Tales from the Cartridge, the video game storytelling podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Penrod. And I'm your other co-host, Ryan Bauer. Ryan, today's a fantastic day. Special day. It's a special, special day because we have another guest back, a recurring guest, mm-hmm. one of the best, <laughs> Jesse is back for Hi. another episode. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, Jesse, how are you, and what have you been playing? I'm doing good. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Games I've been playing lately. Um, well, still, Neil, I'm working on on my list of games I played as a child but haven't actually beaten, so trying to redemption arc that right now is Sonic Adventure 2 from the old Sega Dreamcast. <laughs> and I literally, I, I've gotten like halfway through most of it, had to stop because apparently I forgot that half the game was spooky jump scare ghosts. Like, one half is government military robots, like, cool, fighting Dr. Eggman, awesome. The rest is jump scare ghosts. I'm like, hmm, okay. And then, of course, it culminates into basically a boss that is just a giant jump scare ghost that I just hated. And I literally needed to, like, call a friend to, like, watch me stream it so I could just handle the anxiety of that. So I hopefully should have that beaten soon. Um, Other than that, a lot of Valheim. Um, Ryan recommended valheim got into it with another friend we've been playing nothing but that for the past like three months <laughs> i think i'm actually ahead of where ryan is now you are you yeah. are super ahead wow. of but, yeah. yeah you guys are but it, yeah we have fun adventures in viking minecraft it's a nice time <laughs> <laughs> i never thought of it that way it's kind of perfect <laughs> and the spooky jump scare part is that the one with, with knuckles Yes, like basically, and, and Rouge. Any Knuckles or Rouge and level Rouge, yeah. has jump scare ghosts. They're just like, I'm like, yeah. okay, this is every level now. And then even Sonic has a level where you're like running through an Egyptian pyramid. And it's, you, there's a point where you're like timed, you have to run through a tunnel, and it's just ghost, ghost, ghost. <laughs> and if they touch you, they like slow you down, and it's awful. They're just like, they're all like flying towards you with these big, unblinking eyes. And I hate it. <laughs> I was just we were, I were just talking about this before we started the episode, and I <laughs> used to think that for the little baby things, I think they're called chows. I think it's what they're yes, called. Yes, the chows. Not hundred percent sure. Okay, I would. I my only way to turn them evil because you can make them like angelic or demonic yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of. The only way to turn them demonic, I thought, was just throwing them against a wall over and over again. I don't think that's the actual way to do it. Um, so it talks a lot about my childhood, <laughs> my mentality, I guess. Um, but yeah, so a lot of. But I think you also had a way you thought of. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure how to just hatch them in the first place. And I just kept doing stuff until I eventually threw one against the wall and it hatched. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's kind of weird. I feel like there should be a different way, but I guess that's how you do it. And then I talked to all my friends and they're like, no, that's not. That's not. That's actually the bad <laughs> way to do it. And I'm like, oh, no. What have I done? <laughs> have I done? But then I give my chows lots of lots of um, uh, military robot cores and other animal friends to play with. So mm-hmm. then they're happy and fine. Oh, that was the coolest part, giving them a little animal to hold on to and they had that characteristic. And then they change little parts. They get like wings or, or like some just give them like mean eyebrows or something. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's right. Fun. Oh, I want to play this so bad again. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know if I actually ever beat that game. I got to the very end and I think I got stuck. It was only like 10 or 20 bucks on Steam right now. Yeah. It's a good time. I bought it a while ago and I never got back to it. But The soundtrack is ball <laughs> like and like the plot is like really weird the voice acting can be like a little janky at times the mechanics are like you look they're like a little dated the soundtrack though is just it's just divine it's worth it just for that just that the first 
uh, mission. Rolling around at the speed at of the speed of <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah. But, like, but like everyone, each of Knuckles's levels is a rap exactly yeah. about the level he's in. Oh my god! There's yeah. one. There's one like in the Egyptian pyramid called Death Chamber, and the rap is just like a dude whispering into your ears as you listen. Death Chamber. <laughs> and i'm like i hate this i need this to stop immediately but it's still so much fun <laughs> so yeah that's been that's what what do what, what you guys been playing lately yeah go for it right when have you, when uh, you we just recorded yesterday we just but... recorded yesterday so <laughs> since yesterday i played a bit destiny this morning um before walking the dog oh, nice. um i've been trying to get back into it a little bit in 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 preparation for the ps5's arrival um, That's right, yeah. Destiny is fun. I feel like I've just missed so much. They did this thing called sunsetting, which effectively, like, the darkness crept in and all the old planets are gone. Um, so, like, there's a bunch of weapons you, like, can't get anymore without, like, doing really wild stuff. There's only, like, three or four, like, areas now. It's it's still really fun. This season is super cool. It's all about the... Um, uh, the fallen, but they have a, they have a proper a proper name, the Elsinki or something like that. And it's all about them and them coming to the last city, which is super cool, and like having a place in the city, which has been really cool to see. And like the the politics of that, like Saint Fourteen, who just wants to punch all the fallen, is not into it. it it's it's very fun. Um, it's 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 fun to be back. We'll see if it if it sticks. But that's how I've been playing. Um, it's just some more destiny. He's just like, I just want to punch him. Like, he doesn't want to do anything else but just punch them. <laughs> I was like, I just want to punch them. <laughs> he's a character they introduced while I wasn't playing, but I've known about because he's big in the lore. He's like this big Russian dude who just has like, his 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 job was to go fight Fallen until he got captured by the Vex. Um, and he's just like, just is always so angry that we're giving them, helping them. But it's fun. It's a fun time. So yeah, it's, it's good to be back in Destiny again. We'll see. We'll see if I keep doing, but it's been fun. I gotta get back into Destiny mm. 2 again. So he's like the, the boomer of the cast now. Kind of. like he's that representation of yeah, <laughs> kind yeah. of old ways. Yeah, yeah. Stuck in one mindset kind of thing. Same with uh, Lord Saladin, which I'm sorry everyone who doesn't know anything about Destiny, but Lord Saladin is like, these ding-dang vanguards, they're making alliances with the war mines, they're making alliance with the Cabal, now they're making alliance with the Fallen. This is madness. Um, he's very grumpy too, but it's, it's fun. That should be how they beat the darkness, right? Is just make friends with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, it's like you make friends mm-hmm. with the hive, then make yeah. friends with the vex. We all get together in a recording studio and sing "We Are the World." Problem <laughs> solved. <laughs> <laughs> just like hunger, solved. Solved. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, eighties oh, music people. Just all the world hunger. We're getting it out for us. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Eric, what about you? What have you been playing? Yeah, so like yesterday, I said like so for our episode last time, which we recorded yesterday, I said we were playing Returnal. I played this morning. Um, I'm so hooked on it. I'm still halfway through, uh, getting to the the final final ending, um, which is I think I understand the way to get these things that I need to get to the final ending, but it's just not happening for me. So now I'm frustrated and I want to get to this ending because <laughs> I need to know and understand what's going on. It's it's a thing. I hope you play. I hope I, if either of you are interested in in roguelikes, like I hope you guys play it because I would love to talk to somebody about it. It's just <laughs> it's a wild time. It's a wild time. It, I will say it made me like face my fears a little bit because I hate water levels in video games. It always freaked me oh, out. Boy. Like when I played Legend of Zelda: Majora's Mask, or even Ocarina of Time, like or even Mario sixty four, like the giant eel. Oh yeah. Oh right? no. Yes. No. I know. Horrifying. Nightmare fuel. So Returnal kind of made me, there was a point at the jump into a pool of water. I'm like, oh God, like I can't do this. Like there's no way. And I was able to face that fear. So I feel proud of that. But regardless, I just want to beat this game. Not like it's bad or anything. I just need to know what happens. (laughs) We're getting there. Hopefully. Fun fact. 
Sonic Adventure 2 also has underwater sex oh, levels right. that have more jump scare guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's like the, hor- the most horrifying thing ever. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the worst. We'll have to cover that I game would... on our horror, ep- horror month. <laughs> yeah. October. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm going to that like, I'm like, I'm <laughs> Jesse, you have to come on that episode. You gotta be the spooky ghost. <laughs> just oh, and rap the songs. They'll put them in as music. Jam, As always, storygoers, you can let us know your thoughts, feelings, and perspectives on the games that we have covered and will be covering by sending them to Tales in the Cartridge at gmail.com. All of the e's are threes. You can also comment on our Twitter and Instagram. Comment below. DM us. Let us know what you think. We would happily read those. On the show, you can also earn a super duper cool sticker. Actually, Jess, you deserve a sticker. You deserve like three stickers, honestly. Like, oh, you know, I didn't know stickers were. Involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should send you some. All right, I'll have to send you some. They're pretty sweet. They're pretty awesome. Ooh, yeah, I stuck them on many a Starbucks poles. They also my water bottles. Yeah, we are repping. Cool There's, we have a Aroma Joe's here, at, close to where I uh, am, am employed, and I get coffee there every so often. And every single pole has a Tales of the Archer sticker <laughs> as you drive up to the front. Yeah, I gotta get it. Get like that underground following. That's what I'm saying. Yep, yep. That's how we get all of them. Just copy places. <laughs> People talking about me like, what's this? What's this? Oh, did you hear about that? That's what I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw a sticker. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I put that way too, like, around the edge of that pole the wrong way. So people can't actually read the very front of it. So they put another one on it. It just looks like obnoxious. Like someone's really trying their best to, yeah, it is what it is. You could teach a, teach a whole unit in, like, a media advertising course about, like, proper, like, old stickers and other sticker-based uses for having thing. Probably you know, getting charged with. Uh, loitering and <laughs> property damage, you know. How do, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's that's part of it. Is the you get the references for the legal. Yeah, yeah. How to yeah. fight it in court. I mean, we're, yeah. we're not huge yet, so we're fine. No one's got to listen to this. You know, it's fine. It's <laughs> yeah, no one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hopefully, storygoers, you liked our last episode of Short Hike. I really liked it a lot. I'm actually, yeah. I'm planning on play, when this returnal's over. My, my partner and I plan on playing it. I'm very excited for it. So it's it's gonna be fun. I, we actually played Animal Crossing after I I showed my partner last night and we're like we should play animal crossing (laughs) (laughs) and so we are actually that's another game i'm playing and i'm just messing everything up it's tearing it all down Mm -hmm. sorry yeah a whole (laughs) tangent but today we have another great guest episode because jesse's back and he did a fantastic script but jesse do you want to intro us on what that game is that we're covering today yes today we are talking about the sort of kind of sequel ish in a way, to the game I covered last time I was on the show, which is uh, Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragonspear. Um, now this, this is really interesting because I also didn't learn this until after I finished Siege of Dragonspear, which, because in the new enhanced edition of the games that you can get on Steam or other things today, um, you play Baldur's Gate 1 and you defeat the evil Saravak at the end. Mm-hmm. It like once the credits are done boom puts you right into siege of dragon spear so i thought like oh cool oh, wow. this is like the expansion to the first game and it's 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 got its own really big whole story uh but i didn't realize was actually um baldur's gate one came out in around 1998 i believe baldur's gate siege of dragon baldur's gate 2 which i have not played yet which i'm probably gonna like start immediately after this recording <laughs> um Baldur's Gate 2 came out in, like, 2000, like, two years after the first Baldur's Gate. This game, Siege of Dragonspear, which is part of the same story, didn't come out until March 21st, 2016. That's crazy. So, uh, 
because this was developed and published by a company named Beamdog. So it still just blows my mind that they went back and basically added an expansion to the first installment of a game that came out well over a decade prior. That's crazy. It's like a love of, you know, a really shows a real love for the game to expand on the very first one. So just making a third one. Yeah, yeah. especially because at this point, it being a Dungeons and Dragons game, um, they still had to use the same rules, which at the time were made from Dungeons and Dragons second edition, where today, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is well into its fifth edition. Wow. Um, which a lot of people are playing today. So they, they, you know, still had to go back and still use all the second edition rules. Um, and they had to get back a lot of the original voice cast, which they did, That's which really cool. was spectacular. That's listening awesome. to, which is why I didn't even think it was a big time difference. I'm like, oh yeah, it's all the same people. Look at that. Like I could tell some of the, some of the lines were updated, but I thought they had just done that for the expansion. But it was like, no, it's like a whole, it, it was a whole new thing. So it was really... It was really cool to see. They added a lot of really good gameplay updates that were really helpful, especially with like inventory management and things. Um, but otherwise, some of the, the writers and lead designers of the game uh, included Amber Scott, Andrew Foley, and Liam Essler. The composer for this installment was Sam Hewlett, did the score, which was still amazing. Other things about this at this time, um, since it was made in 2016, it reminded me I had seen articles at the time, one of the one of the things that kind of marred the game coming out was just this ugh, ugly internet backlash, just because there was one like just count like one singular, only solitary, uh, transgender character put into the game, and when you play it, it's literally a character who is not even a main character or anything. Um, I don't even remember if they actually have like voiced lines. Like I think wow. they might just have written dialogue that you read. Um, but they're basically a quest giver, and when you complete their their kind of side quest for them, they just can tell you about how um, you know they grew up and were transgender. Um, and it's like that's all optional dialogue. But at the time, there was this huge backlash, you know, because sort of trans visibility and awareness in games still wasn't much of a thing. Um, you know, and even today, m most times I've seen trans representation in games is, at least in more mainstream things, like there's one trans character in Dragon Age Inquisition, there's one trans character in uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, which I remember there was more of a backlash in that because the representation was you talk to them and they dead name themselves like in their first conversation with you, which a lot of trans people uh, and others supportive of them were like, that's not really how they do that. So uh, unfortunately, that was that was kind of a big a big part of the legacy of this game was just um, that portion of it, which is always just a shame because I'm always like, it's literally optional. It's not a huge part of the story. And it's, it's like one trans person. It's only one. Uh, like literally every, like there's dozens, hundreds, probably even a thousand characters that you could meet and interact with in the whole game. And they're all cisgender. So like, I'm, I'm always just given the biggest eye roll when, mm -hmm. when people are bringing up disingenuous assertions that an agenda is being pushed when one singular trans <laughs> character shows up. So. It just, it's sad, too, that I... It's sad that this happened, that this backlash happened in 2016, because I would have thought that this... You know, yeah. I, I wonder if it was... Do you feel like it was like maybe like a vocal minority, or do you feel like it was, it was maybe bigger than that? 
uh, it's it's like anything on the internet. Mm-hmm. If enough people get angry about it, they might take notice. I mean, luckily the character you know the character wasn't removed or anything in the game. Okay. They, I think they they may have temporarily when it first came out, but or they changed it in some way. Um, but the character's still there, and you can still meet them, and they're just like a cool warrior, and they're just kind of like part of your forces and your allies, and they're not really much more in depth than that. So mm-hmm. it's a shame that there's so much, uh, you know, anger and hubbub about a character that's not even really that consequential. Where I'm like, can I have like more? <laughs> consequential trans characters yeah. please, with like names and lines and like like fun things like that i like to think we're getting fun. there so, like, we're slowly you know slowly but surely getting there you know this is five, five years ago yeah i had to do math really yeah. fast and math's hard but no and then you know so like you said i think games like cyberpunk kind of tackle that and i think they tackled that in a way that was good i think they not tackled that but they they went forward and allowed you to build the character you wanted to build it could be trans if they want to um it was unplayable, but <laughs> they came that, that often, which is cool. I'm glad, and I hope that representation continues to move forward in, in games. Yeah. I feel like I notice a lot yeah. of trans um, journalists, like game journalists and game, um, what am I thinking of? Like personalities, uh, you know, which is really cool, which I think is going to push that agenda even more so when games are coming out in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think games have slowly started to for player options, given giving people more flexibility, even in Animal Crossing, you don't really are picking. You're not picking a gender. You're picking a, a dress yeah. style um, that you can kind of choose, and you can wear whatever you like. And that was something that there was a lot of people had a lot of questions about because Nintendo is always really slow to these types of changes. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important that we have more meaningful characters um, in these games who have different um, trans individuals, um, asexual individuals, bisexual individuals. Um, all kinds of folks who in in these types of experiences because then that both it it validifies that you know they exist in the world because they do so it should be represented in the media that we we engage with and it also allows people to see these individuals as like individuals in the world and have meaningful interactions with them which is really important absolutely not treat a trans character like they're like a unicorn you know what i mean like yeah which, it's just i mean I'm, I'm glad there's a trans character in this game i think that's fantastic but i think jesse you're right i would love to see you more diversity and more more of the characters like that more just broad characters are also gender in you know in the game i mean trans characters should be treated like unicorns in the sense that like you know every trans friend i have is a beautiful amazing magical person <laughs> who my life would be much darker without but the point is that there can be multiple unicorns we right. can have a surplus of yeah. unicorns that's fine right. because that just makes everything better exactly <laughs> yeah yeah, but uh, so other, other than that, the the unfortunate controversy of that, um, uh, the game was very well received for the kind of really excellent uh, story and just return to this world that it gave. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's a pretty cool time. Yeah. So Ryan, what are your memories of, of Baldur Ga- Baldur's Gate: Siege of Dragon Spear? So uh, no memory of Siege of Dragon Spear. I've known about Baldur's Gate One. I've known about Baldur's Gate Two. I'm very excited to someday jump into Baldur's Gate Three when it's at a place where I'm, I'm, I want to kind of really dive into it. I didn't know anything about Siege of Dragon Spear I, I, when I had first bought like the Baldur's Gate pack. I just assumed like Jesse, this is just an expansion that came out decades ago or a decade ago. Um, no, actual decades, decades ago. Um, because there was another, there's another one in there, um, I believe, right? When in the in the enhanced edition, there's another DLC that you can enable or not enable, I believe. Um, 
there's the the, the black yes. pits yeah. in Baldur's Gate, but that's more of like uh, you can just like make a party and then you just get to kind Ooh, of like fight waves of enemies. Oh. It's it's kind of a, just a it's just kind of like a side thing. It doesn't really have its own story sort of. That's thing. what I assumed Siege of Dragonspear was. So I had I have no memory of this other than like Jesse bringing this Buckwild game kind of <laughs> anomaly to my attention. But yeah, what about you, Eric? Yeah, unfortunately, like you, I never, I don't have much experience with that. I never played Baldur's Gate, but I, I will say though, I loved the first one when we covered it. Like, I feel like I remember very clearly. It might be forgetting something, so I'm very excited to see where the story continues from there and how it leads into Baldur's Gate Two, which hopefully Jesse will come back for for that as well. <laughs> Should be fantastic. We don't scare him away. <laughs> to, no, no pressure, but. Yeah. <laughs> but Jesse, what is your experience with, with Dragon Sphere, Siege of, uh, Siege of Dragons, uh, Baldur's Gate, Siege of Dragon Sphere? Sorry. Yeah, I know it's it's a big it's a mouthful. Um, I mean, it was it was really fun. It just it 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 kind of seamlessly just slid in from Baldur's Gate one, um, and so far from what I've seen, it pretty much ends right where Baldur's Gate two begins. So it's really this nice uh, connective tissue, and it was it was very interesting going back and learning. It was made much more recently. To the rest of the things but like but but they made it so well i didn't i didn't realize that because a lot of the same characters and places and people are there that you just see in the first game but they're just like nice and touched up um so yeah it was something i, I really just played recently right after i played Baldur's gate one because i've been looking for more dungeons and dragons games to play it's just so cool that they went back and, and made this like so so long after the first one came out. It just blows my mind. Yeah, like, that's so cool. It's like it's like not it's like it never happened for like anything else. It's like they've like reboots yeah, of games, but this like this because it it's not like Baldur's Gate three where it's like this whole like new like graphically enhanced amazing looking thing. It's like they literally went back and made it look like the same kind of old more pixelated art style, same mechanics all those things but just did everything they can to just still make it a really fun vibrant immersive experience which i think they did a really good job with. that's amazing that's so cool yeah i, I would love to know why they I, I feel like it's probably the love of the game is my guess i would love to know like the talks of that and what made them want to go back and, and add this connection to it and like what they like I, it sounds like they have a lot of flexibility in the design and the you know the 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 games they can design, like I'm sure from a publishing standpoint, if they hadn't published it themselves, a publisher would be like, why are you guys going back to a whole, you know, for a sequel to a game that came out, you know, so long ago, you guys should just make a whole new thing. So it's really cool to have this opportunity to do this. Yeah. Uh, looking back, if, if you go back and look, because I just, I was curious, I brought it up, what, what books came out in 2016 or in 2014? I mean, 5th edition really launched, or the starter set came out in 2014. And it didn't start to pick up speed until 2013, so it wouldn't surprise me if, right when they were getting ready to ramp out 5th edition, that somebody approached these guys like, hey, we want to get some more hubbub about Baldur's Gate or about Dungeons & Dragons out there. Let's see what we can do. Um, because Volo's Guide came out in 2016, which is like a really big, important book. Um, Sword Coast was 2015. And, and not too, yeah, not too soon after, I believe, was when the big um, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus book for Dungeons & Dragons came out so i wouldn't i definitely wouldn't be surprised if that was a part of the a part of the impetus mm -hmm. and bring that back yeah as well. that makes sense too that's smart if that's the case mm -hmm. and, and it's a smaller yeah. it sounds like a smaller adventure so maybe it had more time or maybe like less time to make something so that was kind of the idea behind not making a whole new game and making a, a like a expansion for the original yeah, yeah. 
That's cool. That's awesome. Any good reason to make a game like that is, is a good reason. <laughs> so great. Awesome. So any final thoughts before we jump into the story? I think I'm just ready to go. I just want to do good with the voices. Jesse's voice is so good. Story <laughs> like if you haven't heard the first, uh, if you haven't listened to the first Baldur's Gate story, please, you're doing yourself a, dis- a disservice and, and stop this one. Go back to the first one. It is fantastic. Jesse does such a great job with the voices. Ryan and I do pretty good. But <laughs> Jesse good. really just uh, <laughs> blows it out of the water. So, you're, you know, listen to that one first and then come back to this one. Because, yeah, you'll, I think you'll very much enjoy it, especially if you're a Dungeons & Dragons fan. It's, it's a good, good time. Awesome. So, without, without further ado... Jesse, take it away. Here is the story of Baldur's Gate, Siege of Dragonspear. Fate leads him who follows it and drags him who resists. Plutar. Hello once again, dear friends. It is I, Callius the Humble, at your service. It has been a while since our last time together, and I have had even more daring and heroic tales that will entertain and delight. Yes, while many might have believed that the defeat of my murderous half-brother Saravok would have been a fitting end to any epic tale, an even greater destiny was in store for this dashingly handsome bard. It is another tale of grand battles, shocking revelations, and the blossoming of true love. A heroic tale continues, just weeks after Saravok nearly took over the city of Baldur's Gate and ascended to become the new Lord of Murder. Now, my adventuring party is accompanying me for one final fight against the last followers of Saravok, led by a deadly woman named Corlash. These miscreants had found an ancient tomb to use as their headquarters. The Flaming Fist, the honorable soldiers of Baldur's Gate, had learned of the tomb and asked me to help in ridding these tangled weeds once and for all. My traveling companions and I descended into the ancient tomb. I came now with two of the greatest warriors and trusted friends I knew. Minsk, the rampaging ranger, still accompanied by his hamster, Boo. And Dinah here, the witch from Rashomon, a powerful wielder of the arcane and lifelong friend to Minsk as well. We were greeted by the scouting party the Flaming Fist had sent, when I was surprised by a familiar voice. Uh, smells like moldy bones down here. Imowen, my childhood friend from Candlekeep, who rescued me after my father was murdered by the evil Cerebox, stood before me. She was apparently part of the regiment sent here. <laughs> That's right. Bones and evil. That is the stench which Minsk sniffs. I embraced Imowen and asked how she had managed to get involved in all this. She regaled me with how after I had left her behind on my previous adventure to stop the Iron Crisis, she did some adventuring of her own. She was tracked down by Duke Janath of Baldur's Gate, who had heard she was a friend of the Callius the Humble, bard extraordinaire and savior of Baldur's Gate. Duke Janath made Imowen her apprentice to study the arts of magic and wizardry. Imowen complained that all this studying meant she was back to being cooped up and surrounded by books all day, just like we were in Candlekeep as children. After catching up, Imowen explained the situation. Corlage and her followers were holed up deeper within the tomb. My party and I would lead as the vanguard, and Imowen, along with the Flaming Fist, would follow behind to make sure we weren't ambushed. 
we delved into the deep catacombs of the tomb, but lo and behold the dangers we faced. Ghastly undead searching for flesh to gorge their rotting bellies with. Ancient traps that spat bolts of lightning and belched poisonous gases. We crossed through ritual chambers of unknown purpose, caved-in passages, and chasms of molten magma. The stench of dust and decay coated the inside of my mouth. Ugh! Again! Would it be such a bother for the forces of evil to find a lair for themselves in a nice bathhouse, or perhaps an established local winery? Soon we made our way to the last barrow of the crypt, and our party rushed inside, ready to fight. A woman in dark robes turned to face us, surrounded by armored knights and more shambling undead. Corlage. Her eyes lit with unbridled fury when she saw me. Damn you, Callius the Humble. Damn you and all you defend. It's over, Corlage, I said. Surrender yourself and your troops, and dismiss your undead servants. Everything was going to be different. Saravak was going to change the world, and I... I gave everything to his cause, and you destroyed it all. With a gesture, Corlage sent her tattered skeletons clambering to attack us alongside her elite mercenaries. Dinahir and I stayed back, slinging spells while the rank-and-file soldiers of the Flaming Fist charged in to meet the dark foes. Corlage encased herself in powerful magical shields, flinging bolts of necrotic energy from her hands. Minsk managed to break through the line of undead, and threw himself at Corlage. But before his blade could meet her, she finished another incantation, and Minsk stopped in his tracks. He lowered his blade, and turned towards our group with a feral scowl on his face. Corlash had charmed him with her magics. Minsk tackled his way through our flaming fist allies, heading straight for me with his two-handed greatsword. With a magical flourish, my form became invisible, and I escaped from the charm Minsk, sneaking around the battle. Corlash searched for me in vain, until she felt the end of my crossbow against the back of her neck. She called her followers to surrender, and removed her enchantment from my friend. I am defeated, as Saravak was. He was going to change the Sword Coast forever, and I was going to be a part of it. All that is left is dust and ruin. I and my followers surrender. Well, you've made the wise decision. The Flaming Fist waits outside. You may go to them now. So be it. Rot in a cell or rot in a crypt. It makes little enough difference. We escorted our prisoners out to the Flaming Fist forces, who bound Corlage and her cronies and took them away. A beaming Imowen approached me soon after. You did it! I knew you would. I wish I could have helped you out, but my magic still needs some work. A lot of work. The important thing is that we've triumphed. You and I are safe. I felt a sense of pride to have Ibowen here. She had grown up so much since we left Candlekeep on her way to becoming an accomplished mage, much like myself. It was good to have her by my side. It's over, Kellyus. It's finally over. Saravok's allies are all dead or awaiting the noose. What will you do now? We're going to fucking party, that's what we're going to do. And party, we did. Great opening. I love that <laughs> it's immediately like after the first game, mm -hmm. and I love that it's still connected to the main story of the, of the first game in terms of Saravok and the followers that they had 
and kind of wrangling up the rest of them to put a bow on the end of it and kind of move on. So, I, and of course, Jesse Callius is like fantastic. Love listening <laughs> to him. <laughs> like I said, have a lot of practice. I like that Imwin has a, a, a seemingly like a little bit of a bigger role than last time. I felt bad for Imwin a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as listeners from last time would know, Imwin starts off, you know, you meet her kind of in the tutorial. She's your childhood friend. She's there to kind of help you after the inciting incident where your foster father is killed. But then um, I quickly found what I believed were more interesting party members to replace <laughs> her with, which was much to my regret because there were so many times I could have used a rogue in my game, which is what she is in the first game. So many traps. So many traps. Oh my god. Um, so she changed classes. Yeah, she gets some, okay. some magically she she uh, doesn't get to be a party member in this game, but she is at least she's much more involved now as as a character and as someone present in the story. And I really liked that since I kind of skipped a little bit of that relationship in the first game, that it, it still really got to come back here in this game. Mm -hmm. And Imolin gets gets a little bit more love here. It's nice to see. Yeah, I felt bad for everyone a lot. <laughs> but like, it made sense. Because all the other characters in the first one were so much more interesting. And Minx is fantastic. I love it. <laughs> does, does Boo in the game, does Boo play like any role in the, in the fighting or anything like that? Not or is Boo just a like this, like, bit. A... But they made oh. the best design decision, in my opinion, in Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragon Spear, is now basically any time Minsk has a line, there's like a little adorable hamster noise <laughs> that comes up during any of his lines. It just makes my day so much. It's just this little like, and it's like, oh, my heart. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, Minsk, Minsk oh. is definitely like a permanent party member. I have, I have this little Funko Pop over in the corner of my room. This boo's just sitting on top of his head. He's so cute. He has a Funko Pop too? He does. Um, it's awesome. Eric, if, if we ever, and also Jesse, if you guys make your way up, I have a, um, the, there's a really good D&D, like, really fast action-y party game. Minsk's Boo is one of the characters. Um, so every, every character has, like, their own deck and their own powers, and you're trying to kill the other people. It's a really fun game, um, but Minsk. <laughs> oh, that's what's really fun. Yeah, it's it's uh, Dungeon Mayhem. It's called. It's really fun. Minsk is like a very prominent, like love yes. character. He is yes, from he's, from this. He's very very oh, wow. big and iconic. That's amazing. That's awesome. I love that Baldur's Gate has such a huge influence on the D and D community. Would you guys say that Minx is the most popular character from it, Baldur's it, Gate? It, at least, it, yeah, if not one of the most. I can't I can't think of anyone. Unless there's somebody in Baldur's Gate 2 who I find, uh, I would be very surprised if anyone else yeah, the, uh, felt more iconic. The only character who is maybe is, would be Drist to Orden. Um, but they're, they're a whole different like wing of the D&D world in, in the books. Yeah, he makes a little cameo in the first game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that. That was really great. But he, he just stops by. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Was he the really cool elf yeah yeah, yeah the long white yeah. hair and the sword. yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah wizards Super of the cool. coast they like made a whole website about him now and they're gearing they're gearing up to do a lot of a lot of Dristor and things yeah the new oh, dark alliance game like, is all about him as well there's like new novels coming out which they i know they have like a whole classic series of them that a lot of people have read i have not myself yet though i'm gonna have to go do that at some point amazing that's awesome i love it it's good good way to start and i'm i have no idea what's gonna happen now because like it feels like <laughs> they did a good job wrapping things up yeah. so what, what could possibly happen everything's gonna go great right <laughs> <laughs>
With the last of Saravok's forces destroyed, my friends and I could finally take some much-needed vacation time. After some well-deserved celebrating, the friends I made drifted back to their own lives over the next few weeks, leaving me to reflect on all that has happened since I left Candlekeep. My father was gone, but I had avenged him. I discovered the secret that I was a child of Baal, the dead god of murder. But I had rejected the mantle of my heritage and become the hero of Baldur's Gate. I had become the famous bard I always dreamed of. I even had my own room at the palace with the dukes in the lap of luxury. I took some time to enjoy the city of Baldur's Gate and my newfound fame, and for my massive hangover to subside. City folk recognized me and thanked me for saving the city. Others asked for songs or autographs of which I was happy to oblige. My half-elven ears, however, couldn't help but hear their gossip when they thought they were out of earshot. Rumors spread that I shared the same dark blood as Sarabok, and that I killed him not for the good of the city, but to usurp his power. None had said such things publicly, of course, so I was left uneasy wondering if I might be accused at some point walking down the street. The rumors were quickly drowned out, however, by growing concerns of events outside the city. People were talking about me less and less, and more of a militant crusade tearing through the north. The entire Sword Coast was being thrown into turmoil by this massive army. A buzz on people's lips was the tale of their leader, a charismatic woman named Kalar Argent, who was known across the land as the Shining Lady. No one knew of her origins or her motivations, only the masses of suffering left in her wake. Homes and food stores taken, family members conscripted to fight for their holy cause. Whatever this crusade was after, it was leaving devastation wherever it went. Hushed but excited whispers of the Shining Lady guessed her blood may be divine, and that she too may be a ball spawn, intent on the same path as Saravok. Tired from eavesdropping on speculation and secondhand tales, I retired to my chamber at the Ducal Palace. I was awoken in my bed during my invaluable beauty sleep in the middle of the night. Hey, uh, Callius, you awake? I took off my silk eye mask to see Imowen hunched by the side of my bed, a look of worry on her face. I sat up in my stylish yet comfortable pajamas. Imowen, is everything all right? Uh, what is it? I, I don't know. That's the problem. Maybe I'm just jumpy because what's been going on with the crusade in the north... I thought I heard noises outside my room. I was worried something was happening. We're in the Ducal Palace. If something bad happens, this is about the safest place we can be. Her face tensed, her head cocked sideways to listen. Wait, there it is again. Did you hear that? I'm gonna go check it out. Before I could stop her, Imuin crossed into the other room just as I squirmed my way out from my warm bed covers. I dragged my feet, cushioned in fuzzy slippers, to the neighboring chamber. As I entered, Imowen ran back towards me, followed by three hooded figures in leather armor, armed with daggers. I saw the candlelight shine off the liquid that was coating their blades. Poison. Imowen turned, drawing her own dagger, standing between me and these would-be assassins. Keep back! I'm warning you. Come any closer and I'll... I'll... Cut her down. The assassins dashed to Imwen before I could loose a spell. Their dagger sliced through her torso, and she fell to the ground. 
Their eyes turn to me, recognition apparent on their faces. The hero's here. Take him. The vagrants flew at me. Before their blades could find their mark, an arrow sprouted from one of the attackers and they dropped to the floor. The other two moved to evade, but the next arrow struck true, piercing right into their skulls. I looked and saw a woman, armored in flaming fist livery, bow in hand. Seeing no other threats, she stashed her weapon and ran towards me. She was definitely more than an ordinary city guard. You all right? She said. I live, but my friend Imowen requires aid. A healer should be here soon. Forgive me. I'm Shale Corwin, Captain. Flaming Fist. Enemy forces penetrated the palace. I tried to reach you before they did, but, well. You did what you could, and I thank you for it. Is everyone else safe? I wish I knew. Duke Elton has people trying to assemble the Council of Four in the main hall. You may want to join them once your friend's been taken care of. I moved to Imowen's side. She was unconscious, but still breathing, although weakly and bleeding still. I searched one of the assassins Captain Corwin had slain for any potions or antidotes, but found only a piece of parchment on them. I unfolded it to reveal a sketch in the likeness of my own face. They were looking for me. Curse my immeasurable fame! Oh, well, they really didn't need to draw my nose that big. I grabbed my crossbow and a handful of spell scrolls from my belongings. I headed down the stairs with Captain Corwin still in my pajamas. Imowen was brought to the palace healers in the meantime. We were soon joined by the Council of Four, the dukes that ruled over the city of Baldur's Gate. The Flaming Fist carted away bodies of even more assassins. The duke said they had found a certain brand on the arm of one of the assassins in the shape of a sun, cresting the horizon. I knew that as the sigil for the Shining Lady's Crusade. The dukes informed me that the crusade was marching ever closer to Baldur's Gate, with more and more refugees flooding into the city. And now apparently they were trying to kill me, the hero of Baldur's Gate! But I'm so very lovable! The dukes gave me this decree. The Flaming Fist had already gathered as many soldiers as they could to join the nearby cities of Waterdeep and Daggerford in marching to confront the Crusade's stronghold at Dragonspear Castle. They asked if the hero of Baldur's Gate could be called upon to defend the city once more. I stand ready to answer that call, I said, looking as heroic and proud as one could still in their pajamas. Duke Belt smiled proudly. You need not go alone. The Flaming Fist shall back you. And more as well, if you wish. You're doing Baldur's Gate a great service, Callias the Humble. We'll not forget it. As the business with the Council concluded, I took a moment to catch my breath. It seems my well-earned vacation was over. As I made my way to get changed out of my premium luxury bed garments, I heard a psst over in the corner. A young woman beckoned to me. Hey, hey, over here. You remember me, Callies the Humble? Surely you do. The young woman was clad in dark leathers. She bore a striking resemblance to Duke Entar Silvershield. She must have been Ski Silvershield, the Duke's only daughter. I told her, I have met your father, the Duke, yes, but I'm not sure that we've... Well, anyway, I heard you talking to Daddy and the other Dukes about Kalar. Are you going to Dragonspear? Why not? I've heard the Sword Coast is lovely this time of year. Ski leaned in conspiratorially and whispered, 
Daddy hasn't told you everything. Did he mention he thinks Kalar might be one of Ball's children? Yeah, I thought not. Listen, we can't talk here. I'll tell you more later. After that secretive exchange, I decided to track down my old adventuring comrades to ask their aid in the upcoming quest to stop Kalar Argent in her crusade. I got rumored that some of my old friends might be at a nearby tavern in the city. Captain Corwin decided it best to accompany me should any more assassins come for my life. We sat down for a drink while I eyed the tavern goers for familiar faces. I offered to pay for the round, considering the captain saved my life as well as Emelin's. I spotted another figure traipsing through the tavern, a tall man with a bald head, a sword at his back, and what I could make out as a hamster in his hands. His eyes were on his little furry friend, who saw me and wriggled excitedly. What is it, Boo? I've never seen you so. The man's eyes found me. Ah, can it be? Is this the hero of Baldur's Gate I see? I smiled and embraced the large man, whose loving yet vice-like grip threatened to crush me with its power of pure friendship. Mm, uh, yes, it is I, Minsk. Oh, oh, it has been too long. I have come to ask for your help. Minsk stooped down to meet my face, his look gravely serious. Boo and I would journey to at least seven of the hills and back for you, Kellys the Humble. Probably all mine, but Boo says, Minsk, be realistic. This, you know. But we cannot leave our friend Dinah here undefended. Oh, I wouldn't ask you to, Minsk. I'm hoping she will come too. Then do as the cats do to Boo when they think he is not looking, and follow. Minsk led me up to the room he was staying in. Dinah here. Someone would like to speak with you. Uh, how many times must I tell you, Minsk? I'll not debate Boo on the merits of... Oh, Callie's the humble. Is everything all right? Why art thou here? I need your company, Dinah here. Soon I will journey north. I would have you join me. Hmm. Thou would face the Shining Lady, then. Well, she tried to kill me. She very nearly killed someone I care deeply for, and I can't let that stand. Hmm. I know of this woman. There are those who believe her to be a daughter of the Divine, perhaps even a child of Baal. She merits further investigation. Thine offer is accepted. Minsk and I will travel north with thee. And with who? Of course. We would be lost without thy hamster. Preparers of Boo, we are about to embark on another epic adventure! With old friends in tow, we returned to the Ducal Palace, where I found Imowen awake. She was conversing with a man draped underneath a hooded robe. The hooded man noticed Imowen seeing my arrival and ended his conversation with her. He approached me, and I thought I could make out several scarves along his chin, but no other features under the shadowed hood of his tattered robe. Even without seeing his eyes, I could tell this man was assessing me, judging me. So, this is the Slayer of Sarvok, the hero of Baldur's Gate. How pleased I am to make your acquaintance. As I'm sure I will be yours, once you tell me how you got in here. The man ignored my question and gave me a curious look, as if he was examining the inner workings of my very being. Hmm, strange. There lies within you barely a spark of divine consciousness, yet you bested your brother in blood. How? 
What is it that drove you to victory where so many others fell in defeat? I know not who this man was, how he got in here, or how he knew my darkest secret. I thought to play along with his questions, however, to learn more. Well, if you must know, I bested Saravok because the teachings of my foster father, Gorion, saw me through. Gorion. His death was the first step of your current journey, was it not? I wonder. What wisdom did he impart that left such an impression? Not many knew of Gorion's murder. But I suppose it wasn't a secret exactly, and I had become much more famous as of late. Well, he demonstrated kindness in every aspect of his life, no matter who he met. Interesting. We will see if that's enough to bear you through the trials ahead. You do not see it yet, but another crossroads in your journey lies before you. One you will reach sooner than you think. The path you choose is of interest to me. I can offer you clarity. But we can speak more of this in time, when I am certain that you are the one I seek. The one you seek? Are you... Measuring my worth, then? Measuring it carefully, and weighing it in the balance. I'm not here to act. Not yet. I am here to... Evaluate. Are you worthy? Are you strong enough to overcome the challenges that you shall soon face? Only the passage of time will provide us answers. I will be watching. The hooded man simply stepped past me and down the stairs. Imowen smiled, thankfully able to stand after her bout with the assassin's poison, but her face was still pale and tired. I, Oh, you're back. Sorry if I don't seem excited to see you. Poison really does take a toll. Um, Imowen, what was that man in the hood doing here? You don't know him. He said he was a friend of yours. We've known some pretty strange characters, so I, I didn't think it was weird to have someone pop up looking for you. I don't know who he is. He's certainly no friend of mine. Forget about him. We need to talk about your going to battle the Crusade. I know you think you have to do this, but I am telling you, don't. And you shouldn't. I'm healing, but you need to heal too. Not just from fighting Saravok. Those are just cuts and scars, but coming to terms with, you know, what you are. Let someone else take care of the Shining Lady, please. Would that I could. But with these assassins, Kayla has forced my hand. I knew you would say that. I'm... I'm sorry. I can't go with you. You can't go with me? <laughs> what nonsense is this? You'll heal fully in short order, and then we can make up for lost time. You're the closest thing I have to a family, Callius. I love you. You know that. But after Saravak, I need things to be... quiet. Just for a little while. Uh, but we're adventurers. I'll be back on my feet soon. I'm sure of it. I just need a little more time to rest and work my magic. Promise me you'll be careful, all right? I don't know what I'd do if we just lost too many people, you know. I'm going to rest now. Take care of yourself, Callius. I was disappointed Imowen would not be joining us, but I hadn't time to dwell. After assassins and new quests had interrupted me... I could finally now get back to my beauty sleep. I rested once more in my soft bed. Hey. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey. Are you awake? With great reluctance, I pulled my eye mask again from my face 
to find Ski Silver Shield at the side of my bed. I am awake now, Ski. You can't tell Daddy, Duke Silver Shield, about this. Uh, I I don't even know what this is. I've joined the Flaming Fist. Oh, you say that like it's an accomplishment. Ugh, life as a noble is boring and stupid. I want to do something great with my life, and also get out of this dirty old city, and maybe meet some handsome soldiers. So I'm going north with you! Oh, well, that's... something. I know! Alright, go back to sleep. I'll see you in... Oh, look at the sunrise. I guess you don't really have time to sleep now. I'll see you soon. Remember, whatever you do, don't tell Daddy about this. Morning had come. My sleep ruined. My fury immeasurable. Minsk came in just as Ski left, already dressed and armed. Here is the hero, raring and ready to go! The early bird catches the evil worm! Ha <laughs> ha! Isn't that right, Boo? Oh-ho! Sounds like some miniature giant space hamster woke up on the wrong side of the ranger! Oh, I got out of bed for this. If there's one thing I'm loath to do in a bed, it's get out of it. Dinah here followed Minskin, adorned in her robes and her spellbooks packed. I got all my adventuring equipment ready. Crossbow? Check. Pocket glitter dust? Check. Enough charisma to topple armies and win kingdoms? Check and check. The dukes came to give us warm farewell in their splendid finery. Captain Corwin stopped by the side of the crowd before we left, where she spoke with an old man and a young girl. She embraced the two of them before joining the Flaming Fist ranks. Likely her father and her daughter. We all had people we were fighting for here in the city. The Flaming Fist would be traveling with me, under the command of both Captain Corwin and Corporal Bent Duncan, a strong and honorable man. Our path was to cross the Winding Water River at the Coastway Crossing Bridge. There, we could march straight to Dragonspear Castle. As we made our way to leave, a crowd of the common folk gathered to cheer the procession and send off our noble battalion. Yay! Give a bells, Callius the Humble! We're here with you, Callius! Show Kaylor what we do to her kind in the gate. However, amongst the crowd, I could see a displeased member of the nobility looking upon the common folk with disgust. What are you doing? Cheering for a sibling of Sarvok? That's what he is. They found Starbuck's journal. It reveals the truth. But the Council of Four want to keep it a secret. Is that true, Callius? Are you a child of Ball? Captain Corwin stepped up to face this man. You question the hero of Baldur's Gate. I can handle this, Captain Corwin. That's a bad idea. So the secret of my birth was finally starting to get out. I knew it would, sooner or later. Luckily, I had prepared for such an inevitability. I stood atop a pile of crates so all might see me, and addressed to the crowd. Hear me, people of Baldur's Gate. I know you suffered at Saravok's hands. I know you fear what the future holds with the shining Lady Kalar driving good people from their homes across the Sword Coast. I hear your cries for justice, and I swear to you... 
I shall end this threat to us all. The crowds cheered. The accusing noble slunk back under the waves of adoring city's folk. Another public relations disaster averted. And so our regiment marched out of the city gates, heading away from Baldur's Gate on the path to Dragonspear Castle. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Am I the only one that thinks that Callia should be like permanent member of the <laughs> like fan base in terms like of being loved like Minskin, all the other adorned characters of D&D? Because I just feel like Callia is just too good to not recognize and love. Like, I love it. I love it. I can picture every time you, as Jesse fantastically does the lines um, of, of Callius lifting up his eye, his eye mask. <laughs> Jesse is ruining his sleep. I love it. Jesse, you're doing such a good job with the script. It's fantastic. Oh, you flatter me too much. Wizards of the Coast, though, since we know you're listening <laughs> to all of these, like, please, like, I can send my contact mm-hmm. info. Um, Get that, get that, get that. We'll have to hashtag them. <laughs> hashtag, yeah. We'll have to hashtag, yeah. We'll have to hashtag them in our post and be like, yeah. you need to listen to this. <laughs> hashtag why no Calias. Everyone, actually, everyone listening, please tweet or get out at Wizards at hashtag why no Calias. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll just get a movement going. Yeah. <laughs> why no Calias. You'll have a Funko Pop next to Minsk <laughs> yeah. in no time. Yeah. No time. Oh my God, that would be like, that would be like beyond the dream. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Has an eye mask. <laughs> yes, there there would have to be the separate phone call pop where it's just Callie's pajamas. I mean, it's Callie's just such a great character. I think I just I can't even imagine because just how well the script is and the story is. Like I just can't imagine anyone else being in the lead. Like I really can't. I just I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, but it's great. I love so far story wise. I think it's great. I love that it's not. Uh, I was in, I was picturing that that Starbox followers would somehow still creep in. And kind of cause mischief and, and chaos. That's where I thought the story would be going, but I love that that's not the case. That was wrapped up, you know, well, seemingly so far. I don't know the whole story yet, but I love that the the shining lady is this threat that's coming closer and closer, and, and now Cass has to face what that is. And I'm excited to see more, but I don't know. All right, Ryan, what do you think so far of the story? Yeah, I think there's some really incredible characterization that Jesse has done here in the script that really is bringing Callius to life and making him feel just as fully formed as Minsk and the other characters here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as the story, I really like how it, we have this kind of, we, we finished off everything in the last story, and now this is a new experience. And this isn't just a threat to Holder's Gate, this is a threat to all the Sword Coast. So now we're like really ramping up the stakes as far as to who will be involved. And then I, I really like, and I'm really curious about the Imowin choice to stay behind, and her like really still yeah. dealing with the reality of this all is so good and makes it makes things feel like, it adds this kind of tension, this this gravity to the situation. That everyone's like, you know, I just I need some more time. This is the lots going on, and I just need some more time. I really like that to kind of really add some gravity to to this choice that Callius is making. Callius is just like, yeah, let's go. I'm ready for more. And everyone's like, hey, you should relax. You just went through a lot, and maybe slow down. And I really like that setup. And then with the hooded man, kind of foreshadowing a bunch. I think I think it's I really like it. Yeah, it's really yeah. it's a really fun setup of. You know, Callius, or you know, if you play the game, whoever you're, you know, either 
it's usually referred to as the, the child of Garion or the ball spawn. You know, you're now this like big name, like people like know you, like you're a recognizable face. So it's like, what do you do now that you're kind of in this really like heroic position amongst everything? And I did, I did, I really appreciated that touch in the game where they really have Imowen like sit with you and be like, hey, like, are you okay? Like, we've gone through some like traumatizing stuff. So like, you know, maybe just be careful. And I like, I like that the game is really willing to dig into that, like, deeper part of the characters. Um, not just about like the, 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 the tales and exploits of adventure, but also just like, these are like people and like, how are they feeling and dealing and coping with all these situations? It makes it more realistic for sure. Which I think is awesome. I, I like that. Not everybody's just like ready and ready to go. And I'm, 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 I'm a little sad. On like honestly, I, I wanted to see more of M1. Uh, I love that M1's class changed, and and they're trying to be more the of the you know helping out. You know, they quickly got stabbed by a poison knife. But you know, what? I would try to in that situation. I can't blame M1. <laughs> I'm sure many people would fall to a poison dagger in that situation. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm she, hoping that, yeah. She, she gets up there. She's she's there to protect you. Like she's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She's an important character, and I, I hope we see more of her. I, I'm curious if, the, as the story goes on, if we'll see Imwen come to terms with what's happened and, and step up, or you know, if, if if she needs more time. So both are both are plausible, and I think understandable. So, so now, yeah. and now the story is kind of unlike the first game, where it's you start outside of Baldur's Gate and eventually make your way there for kind of the climax of the story. This one, you start in Baldur's Gate and have to go somewhere else to do some stuff. So it's kind of like seeing this new journey into a a new part of the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sad for Callius. He deserved a longer vacation. I know, yeah. <laughs> Our army marched north of Baldur's Gate towards Dragonspear Castle to halt the advance of Kalar Argent's crusade. This shining lady was raining chaos down on the Sword Coast and had even attempted to assassinate me and my friends. We had to stop her. Our march slowed as we came upon more refugees on the road. As we passed, they looked up at us with haunted faces. While many spoke of the hardships the crusade had wrought, some of the refugees treated them as necessary, a sacrifice they could make to pay for Kayla Argent's greater good. Others revered her and her supposedly divine purpose, claiming that she fought not for one god, but for all. Kalar's motivations were shrouded in mystery. Did she have a higher calling that guided her? Or lower impulses as Seravok did? Was she a child of Baal, as I was, or something different? The Flaming Fist made camp not far from the Coastway Crossing. Our party was given leave to scout out ahead before the army advanced on the bridge. With Minsk, Dinah here, and Captain Corwin at my side, we explored the forest ahead. While we did not have the optimal adventuring party of six members, we made do with what we had. I took our first step towards justice and peace and... Oh, hey, excuse me, watch where you're going. A short gnome bumped into me, halting my majestic advance and spoiling the moment. Hmm? What? Hmm? What? Oh, uh, hello. Uh, oh, excuse me, uh, I've got to go. The gnome had a stout figure with blue hair that framed his face, lighter skin, and wide eyes. He was dressed for travel, and I spotted a mace and spellbook on his person. And he honestly wasn't too bad on the eyes, either. Suddenly, I was intrigued. Ah, I'm sorry, I don't believe we've met. I am Callius the Humble. Yes, 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 you are, aren't you? Uh, that's fantastic. 
Uh, well, if you'll excuse me, I'm sorry. I don't believe I've caught your name. My name? Oh, right, my name. I'm Glint. Glint Three Eyes Gardener Sunson. Pleased to meet you. Glint extended his hand upward towards me. I happily accepted and shook. Um, Three Eyes was your name? Ah, yes, an old nickname. That's how many eyes Mum said she had to keep on me to make sure I stayed out of trouble. Turns out she needed four eyes, but that that's a long story. Oh, a story I'd be most interested in hearing if you're willing to share it. Um, would you consider joining me for a time? For an adventure? Ah, uh, alright. Uh, yes, join you. I can do that. Yes! Now we had five. I only needed one more eccentric traveler who was good in a fight, and we would have the optimal number of six for an adventuring group. Why six, you ask? Shut up, go with it. Talking further with Glint, he described his skills in both divine healing and thievery. An eclectic skill set, to be sure, but certainly valued in our group. Surely we could find our sixth member if we just wander enough through this forest. Come one, come all. See the cream of the Sword Coast's combatant crop. Witness the brilliant and bizarre battles in the black pits of the one and only Baloth the Entertainer. My party and I stepped forward to find a makeshift arena of sorts built here in the woods. The one speaking was an energetic and flamboyant drow. A palpable audience of at least a dozen individuals had gathered here. Gather in the gallery, my gallants. Tis time for another test twixt two titanic terrors in Baloth's blackest pit yet. Yay. Fate favors you, fortunate few, who will witness these feral foes in a furious fray. First, I give you the wild wonder of the Western Kingdoms. Wise men say only fools rush into face the Wolverine. We peered inside to see some small furry creature enter the pits. That's a Wolverine? Looks like a rat. But what wily wonder could conceivably win a war against the Wolverine? There's but one answer. That hardy, hate-filled horror, the Honey Badger. A second beast entered opposite the first. Now that is definitely a squirrel. I bid the battle begin! At Baloth's word, the two furry creatures began slowly grazing about the meager pit. Boo. You call this entertainment? Cause I don't. Me, mom, and me dad have had better fights over midwinter dinner. Patience, my peculiarly profound patrons. The primitive play you propose will be presented. Baloth ripped the cloth off a larger cage behind him, revealing a goblin inside. She banged against the bars and bared her teeth and spoke at the dark elf. Let me out of here, Drow. Let me out. You'll have your freedom, my freakish friend. But first, you must fight for it. A snap of Baloth's fingers teleported the goblin into the pit. Kill it. Kill the goblin, you bloody rat. I thought it was a wolverine. Shut up. Maglubia, take you. Let me out. Silence, you simpering scullion. I stepped up to this entertainer. 
I said, Excuse me, sir, but this goblin clearly doesn't want to be here. You should release her now. Hmm, think on this and take, noble one. Have you ever met a goblin that didn't thirst for the thrill of the fray? Free me, snake. Shut your slobbering face, all you sniveling smudge. She says she doesn't want to fight, you droning, flat-mouthed miscreant. Oh, recognize your role, you repellent wretch. I am the entertainer. I speak. You watch and applaud, or remove yourself if you'd rather. Oh, that does it. This place is finished. I cannot concede such contemptible, nay, criminal coercion. I'll concede you, arrogant wretch. The goblin raised her arms, eyes shining with mystical energy. Spirits, in the shape of more goblins, materialized around Bailoff, harrying him with spectral weapons and ghostly growls. The audience ran at the sight, leaving Bailoff surrounded. Stop! I surrender! Cease this spectral assault! I give up! Bailoth snapped his fingers once more, and the goblin appeared next to us, out of the pit. My pit of plenty, pauperized, made pitiful by a pernicious porcupine of a goblin! What a woeful waste! It was pitiful long time before the goblin did what she did. The goblin walked up pointing her face in front of the ragged entertainer. We had a deal, Drow. You broke it. I should let the ghosts have you. A deal? What deal? This Wormbelly promised shelter and food. Then he caged me, sent me out to kill or die for those bloodthirsty scum. Hmm. Is this true, Bailoff? Oh, forget this wretched rabble-rouser. What will happen to me? Bailoff, baritone showman of showmen, entertainer of entertainers. Bailoff sobbed dramatically as we awkwardly left. Afterwards, the goblin we rescued spoke to me. McKin's my name, of the Grub Doubler clan. McKin, pleasure to meet you. I am Callius the Humble. I'm so sorry you had to suffer the drow's hospitality, such as it was. Eh, been through worse. It's over now. Hmm, you seem unlike any other goblin I've yet encountered, McKean. Uh, would you consider joining me? I'm, I'm traveling north to face Kalar Argent, the Shining Lady. Captain Corwin spoke up. You'd willingly invite a goblin to join us? Have you taken leave of your senses? McKean ignored the captain's comment and looked me in the eye. Yes. I will come with you. Oh, yeah. It's all coming together. Now my party was back to its full strength with a total of six members. Tomorrow we would be able to cross the Coastway Bridge and take Dragonspear? No problem. With Glint and McKean now in our ranks, we bedded down for the evening. That night, I had a dream. I was back in the Temple of Ball, beneath Baldur's Gate. The dark stench of decay and blood filled the air in this lightless tomb. The body of my evil half-brother Saravok lay on the floor, slain where I had left him. But to my horror, the body stood anyway and looked at me with his hateful eyes. I turned to leave that foul place, but then found myself in the streets of Baldur's Gate. Saravok still stood across from me. Behind him, in an alleyway, I thought I could see a figure, 
wearing a hooded cloak in the shadows. Suddenly, Saravok's body erupted in a flash of light, and in his place stood an unknowable horror. A creature twice as tall, covered in spikes, and with claws as long as my arm. I stood frozen at the sight of this malevolent monster, and before I could flee, it rushed towards me with a terrible screech and ran me through with its talons. I woke suddenly. It was night, back in our party's camp. My body was in a cold sweat, but otherwise unharmed. What did that dream mean? Did I see that strange hooded man there? What did he want? Before I could ponder further, our army soon came to the coastway crossing that would lead our forces over the winding water and to Dragonspear Castle. However, we found Kalar's crusaders had already secured the bridge. I conferred with my companions and Captain Corwin. Our group of now six was scouting alone, so we hoped to parlay with the crusaders and talk with them. As we approached, however, it seemed our reputation preceded us. One of the crusaders who spotted us began to panic and ran across the other end of the bridge. Guys, the humble is here. He's here. The elites failed. They failed. Every fallback, back across the bridge. Go, go, go. Yes, hello. It is I, Callius the Humble. I was hoping I might have a peaceful negotiation with your leader. The crusaders on our side of the river began to retreat, but a crusade wizard on the other side saw the rushing flood of his own troops, and then us. The elites failed. Gods! The wizard began a magical incantation, and flames sparked from his hands. Um, that won't be necessary. I've come in peace. I turned to Glint. Are they listening to me? Glint shrugged. The wizard shot forth a blast of fire at the barrels lining the center of the bridge. Crusaders were still scrambling to cross. Wait, what are you? No, don't! The barrels exploded, and a blinding flash of light took the bridge and the soldiers still crossing it. A loud boom rocked us all to the ground. Once the smoke had cleared, we saw the coastway crossing in pieces. Minsk shook his head. This, this is a terrible way to treat a bridge, or any river crossing. Thou wilt need a new way to cross the winding water, I think. Across the now-destroyed bridge, the flame wizard still stood, frozen by the sight of his destruction. A priest, a human with deathly white skin and long blonde hair, stomped towards his comrade, shouting, Curse you, Javis! Do you know what your cowardice has cost us this day? Behind the pale blonde man came another figure, adorned in bright armor. A woman with eyes, shining like the light of the sun. She stood tall and proud and spoke with authority. It was the shining lady, Kalar Argent. Heffernan, what happened here? The hero of Baldur's Gate arrived. Milady, unbound and unescorted by your elites, this man panicked. He destroyed the bridge before our prey could cross. Forgive me, mistress, please! There is nothing to forgive, Yarvis. The fault is mine. I should have warned you of this possibility. It is time this child of Baal and I had words. Crusaders, stand down! The crusaders lowered their weapons. The voice spoke to us next. 
I am Kalar Argent. I know you hear my words. I would speak with you. I readied myself and approached the ruined end of the bridge. Kalar stood across the river on the opposite end, facing me. And so you are the hero of Baldur's Gate, come for my head. Shall we speak and see what truth comes of it? Speak your peace, I said. We stand poised at the cusp of a new age. Someday all Faerun shall look at this moment and say, Then, that was when everything changed. You were what brought me here. The attempt you made on my life. The damage you've wrought across the land. I am not your enemy, Callias the Humble. Consider for a moment the poison my elite sought to use against you. Enough to render one unconscious, but not a fatal dose. Get to the point. It may seem that we stand at opposite sides, but it is not so. Our goals align closer than you know, and there is much we could achieve together. I am a drop of water in the river of my army. We will wash away all opposition. Return to Boulder's Gate. Tell the Council not to oppose me. I care little for the motivations of dukes. I am here of my own accord. Such humility in one whose shadow stretches far across the Sword Coast. Your deeds are many, Slayer of Saravak, hero of Baldur's Gate. And it is even said that the Council of Four answers to you. And what of your intentions? If you wish us to stand down, then convince me. In our lifetimes, two Dragonspear Wars have ravaged this land. Devilish fiends set out from Dragonspear Castle, bringing ruin to the land and dragging thousands of innocent souls into the inferno for being beaten back for a time. Those who wished to follow me lost wives, husbands, parents, children, and friends. But what was not lost can be restored. I will give those tortured souls back to Torail, to our world. You wish to march into the Nine Hells and claim the devil's due? It's madness even to consider it. You're willing to condemn the unjustly imprisoned to an eternity of torment, then? Consider this. Would you hesitate if one of your own were cast into the hells, whatever their deeds? Or would the dukes be fighting you, now, to keep you from what you feel is right? Countless lives were taken to the Nine Hells. Their blood boils. Their skin blisters and bursts. Devils claw at their soul, tearing it to shreds. But they cannot die. I hear them. Kelly is the humble, and I will not turn a deaf ear. I'm not without sympathy for the souls of Dragonspear, Kalar, but what you attempt lacks strategy, and worse, ignores what could happen, perhaps again. You have done little to fight the calling in your own blood, and you cannot judge me for the same, Ballspawn. Murder beats in your heart, justice and salvation in mine. In the end, we shall see which beats stronger. I cannot let you do this, Kalar. You've already brought harm upon the living, and soon you will do the same to the dead. I regret the loss of those who stood against me, and trust that, in death, they could come to understand what I could not show them in life. I will honor their passing with the return of the Dragon Spears dead. Your father was the Lord of Murder. Countless lives were stolen in his name. What if you could restore the balance? Bring back those unjustly taken, would you? Or is the call of your sire's blood too strong? Had you seen the streets of Baldur's Gate? Felt the desperation of those your crusade has displaced? 
You would realize the folly of your words, Kalar. Very well. If this is your choice, then meet me at Dragonspear Castle. We shall end this. We do not need to meet as enemies. Reconsider your course, Callius the Humble. I beg you. Kalar, her mage, Heffernan, and the rest of the Crusaders left the destroyed bridge. Our party returned to the Flaming Fist camp, ready to plan our next move. Our soldiers still needed a way to get across the winding water, and the nearest crossing was at Boriskir Bridge, about a week's travel away. Oh, another break. Okay, a lot has happened. A lot has happened. So we finally met uh, Kalar and just kind of understand the motivations of what's going on. I think Kalar is a, a classic good villain who feels that their intentions are pure and that they are the hero of the story, and that Callius is trying to stop them from doing what is just and right. So I, would you would you agree with that, Jesse? Yeah, it's a big change from uh, the first game, which is like, <laughs> I am literally the new Lord of Murder. <laughs> it's like, it's a big, like, that's a good villain. Like, that's a powerful, high-stakes villain. But Kalar represents someone who is very strong, who's very determined, but has a goal that seems really pure and good. So it's like, you know, there's it's more complicated now because it's not someone who's just just purely evil for the sake of being evil or for their own power. It's it's someone who's got kind of complicated motives and there's complicated repercussions to their actions. And it's like, is it more about her intent or is it more about the effect she's having? So that is reflected in a lot of the, the dialogue choices that you can make sort of throughout this part of the game. And so you get you get that really nice like confrontation with Kaylar at this point as you've been traveling to like fight their crusade. I feel like Kaylar is the kind of character that the ends justify the means and it doesn't really matter what the sacrifice has to be in order to achieve the goal. Yeah. yeah. No, which is like a it's a desperate that's a that's a scary character because you can't really ever truly know, you know, how far they'll go or when the end will be. So I'm curious how Callius will if Callius will overcome Kaylar and, and and this attempt to stop them, it's scary. I don't, Ryan, what do you think so far of, of Kalar and, and kind of what's going on in the inner workings of the story? Yeah, I really like Kalar's character. Um, I really like that kind of intense determination that she kind of has. She believes so completely in what she's trying to do. And it'll be really interesting to see. She also seems to understand Callius in a way, or at least seems to understand what he, who, who he could be or who he could have became. And it's kind of calling him out on that. And, you know, wouldn't you do something? If you could if you could take if you could do something about all the people who your father killed, wouldn't you do something? Like really trying to turn it on him and help him see her side of things in a way that is, is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And from the sound of it too, she makes it sound like she's not a ball spawn, like a lot of people speculate that she is, in terms of at least that's how I kinda of saw it, in terms of how she was uh, communicating with Callius, who who technically is. Um, so I thought that was kind of telling in a sense. I'm curious if there's more to that or not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fun, like, it's a fun, like, beginning mystery of the story that it's like they drop on your players, like, hey, maybe there's this other person that's a boss one. It's like, what? Mm -hmm. To go deal with another one? <laughs> it's, 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 it's interesting to see. It's like, oh, what if she's not? It's like, then what, you know, where does her power come from? You know, what sort of, you know, divine heritage does she have? Is it like a different god? Is it like a number of gods? Like, there's lots of fun things that can happen in D&D that be another thing and her yeah. eyes glow right i think is that, is that? Okay, yes cool. when you see her she is she is adorned in like just like this like silvery intricate like she's got she's got full-on like paladin vibes in D D. and yeah she's got these just bright glowing eyes that are never not glowing. <laughs> she, 
Yeah, I, I really like it. It seems like they're almost going for, like, you as the hero of this game are the spawn of somebody who was pure evil. And here's this character who everything about them presents as this holy warrior out to bring their divine justice and good to the world, um, which is a really interesting dichotomy that they're setting up there between these two these two characters that I really like. Yeah. What's the what's like kind of the structure of the like deity system and the deity system in D and D? What does that look like? Is it very complex? I almost reminds me kind of like a Game of Thrones kind of, which probably is a bad comparison. And I should never say that, but people might take offense to that or something. I don't know. Um, but is it like are the gods really well known? Are they? Like, I'm assuming worshipped at times with certain groups, and are they like normal people that people seem to worship, or are they like this mythical? entity was that is there like a certain way to describe how they are in the world of dnd i mean i think they can almost be as as varied as like anything else in dnd is i suppose in like the most traditional like here in kind of the the forgotten realms the sword coast which is i, I think kind of the most representative of like a classic dnd that most people kind of would recognize off the the top of their heads it's yeah there's almost probably as many gods as there are just like ideas you know there's like sun gods music gods knowledge gods magic gods earth gods plant gods nature gods you know gods of murder gods of tyranny gods of justice gods of of rebirth it's there's there is a, there is a wide pantheon of a range of ideas that are all in this like big cosmic conflict with each other that takes place also through you know their followers and the powers that they grant them and this is also, I think, with the ball stuff, which is, is kind of outside the realm of, and Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, this is outside the realm of kind of what we're exploring here, but there was a time in the D&D multiverse, I think around 3rd or 4th edition, where the gods were thrown to the mortal realm and walked around, and they could be killed, they could be injured, and that was when ball was impregnating people and eventually was killed um, during that time of troubles, I think it was called, where Ao sent everybody yeah. down to Earth because he was angry at the gods for being a bunch of goobers. Um, and so that that is kind of what this is hinting at. That is why Ball was able to be murdered. He was able to be killed because he was mortal for a time. And so there's there's all these gods, and there's like an over-god who kind of pulls even more strings. And there's a lot of um, interesting tension there. But yeah, like Jesse said, there's, there's gods of all different shapes and size, and there are people who worship gods that are not traditionally in the Forgotten Realms, but are, are worshipped in other multiverses because there is multi dimensional travel in this world that can be that can be done i thought you were saying that ball was killed because he was going around procreating too much like all right ball that's enough <laughs> stop doing that dead <laughs> be cool yeah keep yeah. in your pants dude <laughs> all right so i think we're off to chapter four yeah yeah awesome meanwhile at dragon spear castle Kayla Argent sat in her quarters, nestled within the keep, writing a letter with care. I am sorry for your loss, but rest assured that your husband's sacrifice will never be forgotten. Signed, yours in faith, Kalar Argent. Kalar's priest, Heffernan, walked into her chambers and saw her writing. More letters of condolence, my lady. Surely there are other, more urgent matters that require your attention. I am not of mind to argue this again, Heffernan. Their deaths lay heavy on us all, my lady, but they sacrificed themselves for a greater good. Letting their passing distract us will do them a disservice. Condolences can wait. You are correct. 
We cannot afford distractions at this juncture. Gather the faithful. We have much to do. Back south, our party, along with the Flaming Fist, now headed for Boriskia Bridge, the only option left for us to cross the Winding Water and stop the Crusade. Stories told that Baal, the Lord of Murder, was killed on Boriskia Bridge by Siric, the God of Lies. Unease twisted in my gut as we made our way to this landmark. After nearing a week's travel, our army was halted about a day's march away from the bridge. Corporal Duncan came in with news that the Crusade soldiers had already taken Boriskia Bridge and surrounded our allies held within the bridge fort there. We would not be able to cross until the Crusaders there were dealt with. I couldn't help but notice, after when Corporal Duncan went over to Ski Silvershield's tent, he made an order for her appearance, but it took a rather long moment, eventually with Ski emerging, knuckling the sleep from her eyes. Ugh, what do you want now, Bance? It's Corporal Duncan, Fist. Why aren't you doing drills with the rest of your squad? I've got better things to do. Ski, listen to me, please. I know you don't like the drills, but they're important. When things get bad, the skills you can learn now can save your life. With surprising agility, Ski spun with her leg out and tripped Corporal Duncan right onto his back. Several other soldiers in the camp turned, holding their breath. Mm, I think I can manage with the skills I've got. You know, the skills that saved your life from an ornery boar a couple days ago? Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got an important nap to get back to. Corporal Duncan lay in the mud on his back for a while. Kelimvor, take me now, please. In the few days of travel we had before reaching the bridge, I had another peculiar dream. That night, I dreamed I was at Candlekeep, where I grew up. I could see my foster father, Gorion, on the steps of the main keep. I moved to greet him, but Imowen came and blocked my path. In her hands was a dagger. She held it out, as if to give it to me, a pleading look on her pale face. I stepped back from her, refusing the dagger, and she followed, saying no words, but keeping only a pleading look in her eyes, begging. In my fright, I pushed Imowen away, and as I did, she burst forth with a sickly yellow light. In her place stood that unimaginable horror, a horrid creature of spikes and claws and teeth. I tried to move, but my body did not respond. Icy terror gripped me as the monster cut through me like water. I awoke and found trouble finding sleep again. But I pushed aside the dreams and focused on our mission. The next day, I noticed Glint kept falling behind as we marched forward, his shoulders slumped and the bags under his eyes dark. We had been having rousing conversation by the firelight at camp this past week, so I stepped back to check on him. Glint, what's the matter? Oh, I'm so tired, Callius. I am so, so tired. I don't think I got enough sleep the last time we rested. Uh, or any sleep at all, now that I think of it. What? Why not? Uh, you were lying right there. I was entranced. I didn't want to close my eyes. I was afraid I'd open them and you'd be gone. Uh, seriously? No, 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 not, not really. 
but I was watching you. And then you, I think you started dreaming. Whatever was happening, it, it wasn't good. So I stayed awake to make sure you were all right. Oh, as any good right hand no would. <laughs> you are a true friend, Glint. I'm glad you're here. I am, aren't I? Uh, but your right hand gnome's letting you down right now. Give me a minute, and I'll be ready to take on the crusade single-handed, which would probably get me killed. So, give me half a minute, then we can face the crusade together. I'm more likely to survive that way, and if I don't, I can think of worse places to die than at your side. I brought my hood up to keep the morning sun from my eyes, and to hide the blush from my cheeks. I was becoming surprisingly good friends with Glint in our short time together. The next day, as our party approached the bridge, we became surrounded. But where I expected crusaders, I saw a familiar face emerge from the bushes. It was Jahira, my old traveling companion and good friend to my foster father, Gorion. After a warm welcome, Jahira informed us that her husband, Khalid, was leading the defending forces in the fortress at Borskir Bridge against the invading crusade. We offered to help however we could, and Jahira bid us to follow. We moved quietly through the woods, and Jahira led us to an old teleportation circle hidden outside of the fort. It would send us inside past the crusaders. She wished us luck as we were magically shunted through space and time to appear inside the fortress. The defenders there gasped in surprise at a sudden magical entrance. Ooh, what is this? What's going on? Uh, wait, uh, Callius the Humble? Is that you? My, my friend, uh, tis, tis good to see you. What are you doing here? It was Khalid. Oh, I ran up and hugged him. Khalid, a flaming fist company and I have come to liberate Bridgefort and everyone here. Then we're moving on to Dragonspear Castle. I bring word from Jahira she is safe. That is excellent news. Uh, we are almost at the end of our resources, and your help will be invaluable. Uh, let me let me tell you what's happened. Khalid explained to me that the Crusade wished to take the supplies held here within Bridgefort. Those supplies, if taken, would keep the Crusade's armies well stocked and well fed for quite a time. The Crusade's might was powerful, and the situation had been sinking fast for the defenders here. I pondered how we might gain victory. A direct fight would cost too many lives on both sides, but our army needed to cross Borskir Bridge. I told Khalid I had an idea. I walked out to the ramparts of the fort, flaming arrows whizzing past, and called for a surrender. The crusade's attack stopped as I offered our conditions. The crusade could take the fort and all the supplies within as long as they met the following. One. My party and the defenders within the fort would be allowed to leave unharmed. Two, the crusade would provide ample time so all the defenders would have time to use the privy beforehand, as it would be a long walk back to safety. Three, a path must be made for our evacuation and must be no smaller than five meters wide, but no larger than seven. Four, time would be allotted for any in the crusade who wished to receive my autograph, and each would come with a fee of five silver pieces. Uh, on the 13th of my 27 demands, the crusade commander stated he would agree to safe passage and nothing else. I thought the decision sensible and agreed to those terms. The crusade honored their word, and we were allowed to exit Bridgefort with everyone inside safely. No more lives were lost. However, by the time we were completely evacuated, 
Only then would the crusade discover that in the time it took for me to read my list of demands, our forces had destroyed most of the supplies within Bridgeport, leaving only a few filled crates to give the appearance of a well-stocked fortress. By the time they would figure that out, we would be long gone. Shortly after, our scouts reported that the Crusaders, without their desired goal, retreated across the bridge towards Dragonspear Castle, but not before leaving a familiar batch of barrels strategically placed along Borskia Bridge. They were going to blow it up! My party and I rushed into action and arrived just as the Crusaders were about to destroy the bridge and our last hope for victory. We're under attack! Blow the barrels, now! Damn. Damn it to hells. I'm trying! Hold them off. I need, I need more time to finish the summoning. A crusader mage opened a fiery portal over the bridge. Out from the rift clawed an elemental, a being made of pure burning fire. If it so much as touched the barrels, the explosion would destroy the bridge and us with it. I cast out a mesmerizing spray of color that blinded the crusaders, and Corwin's bow made short work of them. McKean danced in shamanic fashion to call forth the spirits of her ancestors. Spectral goblins appeared in front of the fire elemental, blocking its path to the barrels. Dinahir brandished a magical wand of frost and unleashed an icy ray into the fiery portal, diminishing its power. Glint blessed Minsk with divine protection, allowing him to safely fight the burning elemental in its searing heat. Dodging claws of flame, Minsk sliced through the elemental, extinguishing it and Dinahir managed to close the flaming rift from whence it came. The Crusaders retreated, and we saved not only our friends, but Borskia Bridge as well. Our army could now cross to Dragonspear Castle. Looking at the bridge itself, I saw two statues, large and looming, facing each other from either side. One was of my birth father, Baal, the god of murder. The other was of Sirik the mad god of lies. Standing in this historic place, I was suddenly taken by a vivid vision of Sirik and Baal in mortal form long ago on this very bridge. Baal, with dark hair and blackened eyes, growled at the god across from him. Wordlessly, Sirik rushed in with godly speed and skewered Baal upon his sword. I awoke then as the vision faded and was lying on the ground. The bridge stones beneath me had become charred and blackened, still smoking. As I stood, I saw the shape of a symbol burned into the stone beneath me, a skull encircled by bloody tears, the very symbol of Baal himself. Behind my friends now stood soldiers of the flaming fists, our reinforcements, watching me with horror, whispering in fright and confusion to one another. I suddenly felt very naked standing there, and not in the good way. Footsteps came from the other end of the bridge, and the figure of the hooded man stepped forward and addressed me. You can feel it, do you not? Something has changed. Your tenuous connection to the essence within you has been rewoven and reinforced, if not necessarily refined. An impressive achievement even if you lack the control necessary to bring your abilities to their full flower. You again? What is your role in all this, Hooded One? What do you hope to accomplish? I'm here to bear witness to what comes to pass, nothing more. A dead god's blood lingers long. There are remnants of your father's power here, 
even now. I'm not surprised something has awoken within you. Tell me, what did you see? <laughs> you can't seriously expect me to relate the details of a near-religious epiphany to a stranger, can you? I'm not your enemy, Callius the Humble. For now, our paths are intertwined and follow the same course. You need not fear me. Baal cannot avoid his demise, but he did plan for it. He lives on through you and your brethren. You sense his whispers even now, quiet and insidious. His demands will become screams that drown out all else. You merely drift along your path, neither asserting your strength nor taking that which you deserve. I expected more from you. You must know that by now that nothing you do escapes my sight. I know your past. I watch your present. Thus, I know your future. It was written in your blood long ago. You know nothing of me. Ball is dead, and you, my friend, whoever you are, are clearly bereft of sanity. I am bereft of many things, child of Ball, but sanity is not one of them. You are not like the sheep you walk amongst. You have a purpose far beyond theirs, if you have strength enough to grasp it. Most go about their days unawares, blind to the truths around them, pushed and pulled by forces beyond their understanding. Control is what sets us apart from the animals scrambling through the dirt. We must be masters of our lives, of whatever resources we have to bear, bending them to our will. You will learn this in time. Kalar Argent has but the tiniest portion of divine essence. Yet, she has boldly claimed her birthright and taken control of her destiny. You have half-god flowing through your veins, and yet you stumble your way towards your destiny as if blind. Spread your wings. Feel their power. Let this test you. If you are lucky, if you do well, further tests will come. Perhaps... Eventually, you will learn what you need to soar. Woo! What <laughs> did man coming in? Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what he does. He kind of just like comes in. You're like, I'm sorry, who are you? <laughs> He's dropped the mic on Callius and walked away. Yeah. <laughs> Which probably doesn't happen very much to Callius. I know. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. It's the hooded man. It's good to see Callius like, you know, and Callie's is fantastic, but the moments that like you know, the hood man comes up and is like very mysterious and like kind of like even seems to like upset Callie's because like he doesn't know what's going on. It's it's good to see that that the humanity in, in Callie's and that like not understanding what's going on. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, and there, it it doesn't come as much. I wasn't able to put much in the script as long as it's already. But because um, there's points in the game where you find the hooded man seems to have you know his eyes on different places and his fingers in different pots. So there's this big question of just who the heck is this guy <laughs> and what is he even doing? Yeah. Because he seems to know almost everything about you and even more. And I really like this character as this individual who's like prodding and pushing Callius to whether you go to be the Lord of, of the become the new God of murder or not, just do something with this power you have. Just take control and do something with it. Don't just sit on it and waste it. I really like that kind of prodding he's doing and pushing to see kind of what, yeah, what Kelly's do. 
I looked it up. He has fun different lines depending on what. Because at the in in Baldur's Gate, you just pick your D and D alignment. Like for those who know, you know the alignment memes with the the square grid where there's like lawful good, <laughs> chaotic evil, and like you know, uh, you know, true neutral and chaotic good, and all those things. He he has the hooded man has different lines. He has like different diss tracks on you based on what your alignment is. That's really interesting. That's um, cool. Reminds me a lot of like kind of like Kreia from Night's Seal Republic 2 for people who know that character. Mm, oh, yeah. She's very much that same personality of like mysterious and is like, hey, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> get good scrub. Um, and uh, this might, and this script might be interesting too because um, I'm in an interesting place where I imagine a lot of people who've played Siege of Dragonspear probably played Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 back in the day if they're big fans of the series. So they already know who this character is and his role in the next game, which I currently do not. It's like, it's, I'm kind of like a person who's like watched the Star Wars prequels first and then watched the original trilogy. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't know if that's the way that was meant to go, but it should be an interesting experience. Yeah, I can't imagine many people, I mean, I'm sure many people have watched it that way. I, I personally didn't, so I can't imagine what that experience would be like to go you know, chronologically through what the story is. That's probably it's probably it's exciting. I imagine to not know. I mean, I actually am in the same boat. I don't know who this hood figure is, so I'm excited to learn too. Just <laughs> cool. And Jesse, where would you put Callius in terms of the um, alignment for his character? Oh, Callius, I have as he's neutral good. Okay. So he is his primary concern is with helping others. He's not too concerned with the the aspects of the law of having like rules and civilization and regiment and tradition, but he's not too much about the chaos the sense of um avoiding and vehemently opposing that and um you know proceeding on a very kind of like free and uh, uh more more open sort of way of living he's, he's he's he will do whichever way he needs to because at the end of the day with all his like pomp and sass and things he's doing, he wants to make the world a better place and more beautiful for everybody. I like Callius. Callius is very, very human to me in terms of like, uh, you see, there's so many emotions from him. I think it's so. It's he. He's not this like one note character, which I really, really like. I really like, especially now. I feel like we really see Callius as vulnerable for the first time in this story so far. Like standing back up and seeing this mark that's left underneath him, and everyone staring at him in this horror, and the hooded man seemingly having this thing over. Callius and, and kind of prodding him to like realize his destiny. I, I, I like seeing this vulnerable side of Callius. As, as sad as I am, because I think Callius deserves the best. <laughs> yeah, it was really, it's really interesting how the first game kind of has that reveal of spoilers for Baldur's Gate 1, by the way. Um, I mean, it, it, it's already been spoiled in the story, <laughs> but where it's you, you discover, oh, like you don't know that at the beginning of the game. That's the big twist. It's like, oh, the villain is a child of the god of murder but also so are you yeah <laughs> and it's like w like what do you do with that what does that mean for you if you're the the, the spawn of this like literal evil god and you know and uh, it's like callius has done all these things to like be a hero and fight against that and be like who cares what his dad is he's the best guy <laughs> but then like when you fall unconscious and suddenly like his like his fucking logo like emblazons itself on the ground around you people are like mm -hmm, I, don't, I don't know that don't look so good over there <laughs> that looks pretty shifty i don't know yeah, it's pretty sus right now i mean no one wants to be their parents right so this really blows <laughs> exactly yeah 
when he has like the literal worst dad. All right, off to chapter five. Meanwhile, in the keep of Dragonspear Castle, Kayla Argent paced the floor anxiously while her right hand, a winged woman named Ashatiel, stood at attention. Why does he still refuse me? How can he deny the righteousness of our cause? Ashatiel held a look of contempt and disgust on her face. We speak of a child of Baal. And yet the Baalspawn is the hero of Baldur's Gate, and by all accounts saved the Sword Coast from ruin during the Iron Crisis. You cannot ask me to show mercy to this abomination, not after what happened to my brother. For the good of the Crusade, you must. We cannot take the Ballspawn's life. Forgive me, my lady. I do not know if I can do that. You can. I have faith in you, Ashatiel. For us, forgiveness must prevail over revenge. After crossing Boristhia Bridge, we took the forces of the Flaming Fist from Baldur's Gate to meet the allied forces from the neighboring cities of Waterdeep and Daggerford. The banners of the three cities flew high above the coalition camp. Soon after arriving, I was asked to be part of the general's meeting before the army's next move. While the generals of Waterdeep and Daggerford believed the reinforcements I escorted were a much-needed boost to morale, they believed my own presence was not. It turns out morale had been a little bit damaged by the very symbol of the god of murder scorching itself into the ground around my body. It had left the soldiers a bit shaken, to say the least. So, the generals recommended I do a mission away from the camp, out of sight. Not my first choice, but I understood their concerns. We had intel that Kalar's forces were using underground caverns as their supply lines. My mission would be to infiltrate these underground caverns and find out whatever information I could about Kalar and the Crusade. I would also take one of the explosive barrels we recovered from the Crusade and destroy the tunnels, crippling their supply lines. We made our preparations to leave, and Corporal Duncan ran to us, panting. Captain Corrin! Thank the gods. Steady on, Corporal. What's the problem? It's Key Silver Shield. She left the camp. She was last seen heading towards Dragon Spear Castle. Alone. Oh, leave this to me, Corporal. I'll find and return Ski before she stumbles into Kalar's grasp. Bring her back safely, Callies. If the Crusade takes his daughter, and Tar Shiva Shield will have all of our heads. Our party traveled to the entrance of the Crusade's tunnels. We had managed to ambush a passing patrol and take their armor as a disguise. We moved inconspicuously between soldiers hauling goods and patrolling the dark tunnels. If our cover was blown here, we'd have to fight through at least a hundred Crusaders. Minsk carried the barrel of explosives on his large shoulders. We found a good location to place the barrel out of sight. But a group of crusaders sitting nearby would surely notice what we were up to. I walked over and introduced myself as a fresh recruit to the crusade, and they seemed uninterested at first. However, with a swift use of my charms, some not-so-subtle flirting, and expertly timed jokes, I had the crusaders distracted while my companions ensured the barrel was securely in place. 
<laughs> so I said, behold her, I hardly know her. <laughs> oh, with great reluctance, the Crusaders bid me farewell to return to their posts. As I joined my companions, I noticed a furrowed brow of frustration on Glint's face. But with little time, we found a lift that we surmised led to the main keep of the castle and hoisted ourselves up. We now found ourselves in the lower levels of Dragonspear Castle itself. Kalar and her goons would not be far, and it would be more suspicious for us to be wandering about here. I told the party to wait and hide while I scouted ahead. I cast a magic spell of invisibility and went to find what I could. Sneaking around unseen, I peeked my head into an important-looking chamber. Standing there was Kalar's right-hand priest, Heffernan, along with several other well-armed crusaders. They were all turned to a dark wall of black smoke that held burning eyes within. They hadn't noticed me, so I listened while Heffernan spoke to this mysterious entity. Just a little more patience, Master. More patience, Heffernan! I have waited decades for this moment, and will wait longer still before I am free to return to the Prime. And when you do, all will have been made ready for your arrival. Those who still live will be baptized in the blood of those sacrificed by your name. A million souls will hold their arms up and scream your name, ready to embrace their new lord and master. Your words paint a pretty picture, Heffernan, but your failures tell a different tale. The portal to Avernus and the Hells shall be opened once again. Uh, did someone mention my name? Uh, well, no, nobody actually did mention my name. But I doubt any other children of Baal are in the vicinity. I blinked back to being seen, and my party rushed up behind me, ready to fight. Mince gripped his sword, Boo, on his shoulder. We are done with the talking now, yes? It is time for the kicking of butt. It is time, Minsk. Do as thou wilt. Heffernan shouted at his goons and pointed at me. You heard the master. Get him. Now. Crusader reinforcements burst in before we could get to Heffernan. We were soon overrun by their overwhelming numbers. You're in the belly of the beast now, Caldius the Humble. There is no escape. I shall finish this once and for all. Hey, uh, are you sure we shouldn't be... How shall I put this... Getting the hells out of here, now! Dinah here, quickly thinking, conjured a wall of ice that blocked the Crusaders, and we left down the lift we came through. We ran back through the tunnels as fast as we could, and ducked into a storage shed as we heard passing patrols shouting and marching through. Glint looked unsettled as our party sat crouched and silent. I whispered to him, Glint, what's wrong? So, Callius, there's something I... I can't help but notice about you of late. A familiar blush crept in my cheeks despite myself. Um, just one thing. I hoped you've noticed a little bit more than that. What are you two doing? We need to be quiet or they'll find us. Of course I noticed the, you know, the usual things. They're hard to miss, especially when you're looking for them as hard as I do. But your eye seems to have been wandering. Some looks you've given other people make me uneasy. So you want me to what? Close my eyes as we hunt the most dangerous woman on the Sword Coast? Is this not something Vine could discuss at a later time, perhaps? 
I don't want you to close your eyes. I would, however, prefer your gaze linger longer upon me, and less upon any handsome crusaders we find. I looked Glint straight in the eyes, and pulled him closer. Know this then, Glint Garnison, and may the gods strike me down if I lie. Had I the option, I would look at nothing, and no one but you. You're the one I want, Glint. You and no other. Come here now, and kiss me. McGluliat's fist. I don't want to listen to this mush. Oh, I, I did like that. All right. Well, I, I, I'm feeling better about things. Let's up. Uh, let's do whatever it is we're here to do again. Yeah. We waited for the initial patrols to rush past. Then we snuck away through the caverns and successfully escaped the clutches of the crusade. Now we could return to the coalition camp. Our forces moved to rendezvous with the siege commanders. Within the hour, we stood at the walls of Dragonspear Castle itself, towering and strong. Crusaders lined the parapets, and no doubt stood in legion behind the fortifications, ready to hold off our assault. Our armies were gathered for the final stand. Now, we would begin the siege of Dragonspear Castle. He said the words. He said the title of the game. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that chapter had so much. Yeah. Love, fighting, yeah, boo on your shoulder. What more do you need? <laughs> I was, that was something I was considering, but I thought just for Callius's personality and both just for the fact that there are actually LGBT romance options in this game. I mean, I guess to be fair, more... LGB options, sadly, again, for our aforementioned lack of good transgender mm -hmm. representation. But um, but even having something like that, and that was me thinking, like, this game was made back in, like, 1999 after the first <laughs> Baldur's Gate. I was like, wow! I didn't expect that! And then I look, and it's like, oh, 2016, that makes more sense. But I was still, I was still really surprised. I didn't know uh, Glint was a... Uh, you know, romance option for male characters until, and, and the reason I put that scene there is because in my game there's that part. You discover Heffernan and this dark force he's talking to, and suddenly you have to bolt. Like, he's like, like everyone in your party has a line that's like that's kind of subtly telling the player hey, we need to get out of here or we're gonna die. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we're running. And literally as we're running, like, Glint opens a dialogue so everything is like stopped. It's like it's like in games like Oblivion or like Fallout Three or New Vegas, where like time stops where you talk to someone. So it's like it's Glenn having this whole conversation about like his feelings for me. And I'm like, Glenn, like just we need to go. Like, like yes, it's fine. I think I think you're cute too. Can we go, please? <laughs> so I, I it just felt like a very a very fun thing part of the campaign that that happened there. It's so funny. I love it. I, I, do you guys feel, because you guys are, are regular D&D players, do you feel like that the LGBTQIA plus community are represented more now so? Or is it maybe it was something that just kind of has always been done because D&D is just so fluid and, and you know, you can, you can make these adventures on your own. I don't know if that's even, has it really played a part in, has that grown in D&D culture and, and, and games? Or is that something that's kind of maybe just always been there for those who, who wanted it? I mean, sadly, where I would have I would have wished to have been doing these things a lot longer in my life, I've only been um, really playing D&D with people for the last three years or so. Um, but in that time, yeah, a lot of my friends who are identified somewhere in LGBT stuff, you know, 
we found a lot of enjoyment for the game because Dungeons and Dragons, you know, typically is usually you're a band of adventurers who all gown together. So there's already this like innate theme of like a found family. Mm-hmm. And that works really well with sort of, you know, kind of queer topics and things. Um, and really meshes well with that. That's why. Yeah, I think in any kind of community, especially one that has most been dominated by cis white dudes, it's always been a challenge to make it be more inclusive. I think they made a really intentional choice. One of the really lead writers of 5th edition was a, identifies as, I believe, a, a gay man. Um, and he was really essential in Jeremy Crawford and a lot of the things that were going on. And I don't think he was hired because he was a gay man. I think he happened to be a really talented man who happened to work on D and also has a partner who is a man. Um, so I think that has helped kind of reframe, especially with this fifth edition. But I think there's always going to be challenges when you have a, a, a medium that is traditionally ran by and done by cis white dudes. It's always going to be hard to break through that. I think, again they're trying really hard to rewrite some of those really bad issues with early D&D with alignment and races and those types of things and there are some folks who I think are even doing it better than wizards and they're, they're trying to, to take some take some inspiration from that I hope but it's 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 something that I think like Jesse said and he, he can speak more to this than I can obviously because he lives it in a way much far different than I do um, hopefully that's okay for me to share Jesse I'm, I'm assuming yeah, yeah yeah you live it in a way a different way that's than fine. I do um <laughs> That you have a much more picture of that, but I, I certainly can. I, I think they're trying, but they've got ways to go. But certainly, any type of medium where it's kind of really, it's created by folks. But one of the things that's really special about D and D is it is not owned by the folks who create it. They intentionally give up a bunch of that power to the players, and I think that allows folks to kind of create whatever world and rules and um, things they want to do. Which is the coolest part, I think, about D and D is just how open and free it is. It's not con- yeah. it's constrained or conformed to a, a certain thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the good thing, the good thing when you're playing is that if you know, if there's something you don't like in the pre-written material or anything in how that's made, you can change it for your table and for your group and how you play. Um, that being said, I think it is a really good step that they're working on correcting a lot of those things sometimes the steps are like not really big Mm -hmm. enough or they don't completely solve the problem at its heart but i at least feel better knowing i'm playing a game where the company involved is at least pushing for that direction um whether or not they get there fully and if not there's lots of other tabletop games and things like that that really do serve those needs a lot better but mm-hmm. i am always a big fan of dungeon <laughs> dragons so i just like making my games as like queer <laughs> as i can but it's but that's the fun thing yeah you can make it what you want with the people you're playing with yeah yeah so now we're at the final battle the siege of dragon spear castle Meanwhile, while the Coalition forces siege their fortifications, Kaylor Argent and her trusted advisor, Heffernan, watched the fighting in the distance. The battle unfolds as you expected, my lady. Our forces fall back to the castle even now. The battle is not the war. Whatever blood we shed is worth it, as long as the child of Baal bleeds as well. What is your command? We must hold Dragonspear, or all is lost. And the ball spawn? Bring the child of Baal to me. 
Our triumph depends on it. Our party and our army finally approached Dragonspear Castle, a formidable fortress. Even from the outside, one could see the massive dragon skeleton that encircled the inner keep, giving the castle its namesake. The siege of Dragonspear Castle was already well underway. We led what soldiers remained from the coalition camp up to the broken palisades in the main gate of the keep, which looked like it had already been blown apart. However, the crafty crusaders had erected a glimmering, magical barrier where the main gate used to be, blocking entrance to the keep. Soldiers beat at the arcane obstruction, while catapulted fireballs from within the castle streaked over the walls, decimating our troops. At this rate, our armies would be whittled down, attempting to even breach the castle walls. However, we had a solution. Dinah here spoke a magical incantation, detecting where we had placed the barrel of explosives beneath the castle. Regis! Perea! With an arcane spark deep below the ground, a great rumble came, followed by a deafening explosion at the castle's magical barrier. The crusaders there screamed as they were annihilated by the blast. Before the smoke could clear, General Stonehand of Daggerford lifted her blade. For Daggerford! For the Sword Coast! Charge! Forces from Waterdeep from Daggerford, and from the Flaming Fist, stormed into the castle, and our party joined the assault. We pushed through the smoke and rubble to meet the Crusader forces within. The two armies slammed into one another, blade against blade. With a hearty tune from my flute, I cast a haste spell so that our soldiers could move and attack twice as quickly. Glint used his spells to make a squad of our sneakier fighters invisible. Dinahir flung fireballs over our forces into the Crusader's back line. McKean summoned plant vines to ensnare and entangle the enemy. Arrows and enchantments from enemy wizards whizzed past us. Minsk was struck with a slow spell, making his movements and reactions sluggish. Captain Corwin plucked the arrows she dodged from the ground beside her, firing them back at the Crusaders. It was a bloody battle, but the Coalition forces held firm. Soon the first wave of Crusaders fell, and our army pushed further into Dragonspear. We met the next wave of troops. But one of their commanders, a winged woman, called out over the armies. Stand down, or by the lady, you'll answer to me. Know that I'm Adras Ashtil, right hand to the shining lady. I know you, Balsfawn. She pointed her sword directly at me. Oh, I'm not surprised. I'm awfully famous. Some call you a hero, but I know what happened at Borskir Bridge. You will never fight with us though our cause be righteous. I do fight on the side of right. You and Kalar cannot see that. I will bring you to the light and prove that ours is the side of honor and virtue. Face me one on one. If you defeat me, my soldiers and I will surrender to you. Do you accept? If it will save lives, so be it. You and I fight one on one with no other interference. We two combatants walked into the opening in the castle square between our opposing armies, a makeshift battlefield to end this fight. Ashatiel was armed with her divine blade and a steely devotion to her cause. I knew that her abilities in martial fighting were greater than my own, so I had to fight smart. Using my dexterous mobility, I could swiftly dash and gain much needed distance from her and her sword. With my clever wit, I could lash her resolve with piercing insults like, 
you wayward poxmock skeins mate, or you beslubbering ill-nurtured haggard. And then I could use my wand of monster summoning to inundate her with hordes of ravenous beasts that would rip her to shreds. While at first I believed using a magic wand to conjure dozens of monsters directly on top of her would disqualify our initial agreement of one-on-one -on -one combat, Asha Teal did not herself give any complaints about it. However, now that I think about it, she may not have been able to due to the fact that she was busy fighting off approximately seven hobgoblins, five gnolls, three ogres, and a two-headed giant, but we can never be sure. After a rousing battle of honor and fortitude, I stood victorious over Kayla's right hand. I stood over her, mostly due, again, to the pile of monster corpses she left behind. Boy, did it take a lot. Ashtiel is defeated! Only Kalar will save us now. The remaining crusaders retreated or surrendered. Our forces secured the area, leaving only the main keep to be taken. The end of the Shining Lady's crusade was at hand. An eruption of light came from the castle walls, and there stood Kalar, who shouted to the soldiers rallied against her. Hear me, people of Waterdeep, of Daggerford and Boulder's Gate. Heed my words. I am not your enemy. Have none among you lost a mother, a father, a sibling, a loved one, to a cruel and unjust fate? So it was for the victims of the Dragonspear Wars, their souls dragged to the Nine Hells, lost forever, or so we believed. Then I discovered the truth. The Dragonspear dead are not lost. I shall lead an army into Avernus and retrieve them, if you let me. Join me, together we can bring about a new age of peace of justice, of enlightenment. You speak of peace and justice, but your crusade has left nothing but chaos and ruin in its wake. And this madness, Kalar, surrender now. You ask me to surrender now when I stand on the threshold of victory? No, I will not stop now. I cannot. You could have walked with me in the light. You chose blood and darkness. You will pay for that. She vanished herself away in another radiant flash. A scout came bearing news that our mages had warded off what was left of the underground tunnels and exits to the keep. Kalar had nowhere else to run. With a brief lull in the fighting, my party and I took a moment to rest and recuperate. Glint sidled up next to me and handed me some of his extra rations. Bloodied and exhausted, I took only a second to rest my eyes. But when I opened them, I was in another dream, inside an unfamiliar house. There was a woman, kneeling next to her bed, praying. Was that Kalar? I leaned in to hear her words. So much death, and to what end? I had to make it right. I had to save them. Save him, whatever the cost. Before I could hear more, the world shifted, and I stood across from Kalar back at the destroyed bridge of the coastway crossing. Next to Kalar was a figure in a dark hood, like a shadow. In a familiar flash of yellow light, Kalar's body warped and changed into the unknowable horror. I thought I could fight it, but the same panic gripped my very bones. The monster leapt with ease across the broken bridge, landing just in front of me. It stood slowly, its tongue lapping up the taste of fear in the air. 
With a final swipe of its claws, it tore through my flesh and bone. I was jostled awake by a hand. Glint looked at me with worry on his face. Oh, whatever these dreams meant, there, there was no time. We still had to take care of Kalar. I told Glint I was fine and squeezed his hand. We got ourselves ready to plunge into the main keep. However, as we stormed into the inner castle, we found no soldiers. Everyone left here seemed to have vanished, along with no sign of Kalar. But I knew the Shining Lady had too much honor to retreat from this fight. She would not abandon the dead she hoped to save at any cost. We heard movement, and I carefully crept over to find someone hiding in one of the bedchambers. To my relief, it turned out to be Ski Silvershield. Oh, gods. Upon seeing me, Ski ran out and wrapped her arms around me, nearly sobbing. You're here! Where have you been? Weren't you worried about me? Ski, what are you doing here? I was gathering intelligence for our fighters when Crusaders caught me. I managed to convince them I followed Kalar. They took me in, but they... They made me do the most awful things. What, what did they do to you, Ski? They... I don't even want to think about it. They made... They made me... Clean! I had to mop up blood and vomit and... Oh, gods. Gods! Oh, I had to empty the bedpans for the wounded. Ugh. You've got to get me out of here, Callias. I am dying! <sighs> the Flaming Fist wants you safely out of your ski. Can you tell me anything you've learned about the Crusades' movements here? A whole bunch of soldiers came in, and Kalar ordered them to flee. From where I was hiding, I saw Kalar and some soldiers go into that big vault downstairs. I tried to sneak back up and go out through the roof, but I got trapped here, and my feet really hurt. So I just decided to stay put. But you've got important things to do, I'm sure. Go on. I'll be fine. Probably. Leaving Ski for the soldiers to take care of, we came to the basement vault of the castle, guarded by a large, intricate stone door. Carvings of fierce dragons were etched into the doorway. We managed to pry open the heavy doors and rushed inside. We found a large cave-like room, and standing before us was the Shining Lady herself, Kayla Argent, with her priest, Heffernan, at her flank. No one else. And so we reached the end of our long, long journey. If only you knew the sacrifices I made to bring us to this point. All of them worthwhile. I was suspicious. Who else is here, Kalar? Don't expect me to believe we are alone here. Change is upon us. Great and righteous change. You've come to face me. So do so. Now is the time. Suddenly the air around us shimmered, and a dozen elite crusade soldiers appeared. Their magical illusions dropped. We stepped into a battle position, but before we could react, Heffernan released a spell, and my body froze in place paralyzed. My party must have fallen victim to the paralysis as well, as I heard their straining grunts behind me. However, I looked to Kalar's fighters. None of them were moving now either. 
I looked at Kalar and saw a look of frustration on her face as her body failed to respond just like mine. Hefernan, you've caught me in your spell as well. I can't move. Hefernan moved freely, taking his time walking over to Kalar. Have I now? How distressing for you. You'll just have to stand and watch as my plan reaches fruition. He drew a dagger and walked to my paralyzed body. He grabbed my hand while I could do nothing to stop him. Your plan? What do you mean? Heffernan, what are you doing? You'll find out soon enough, my puppet. Once the devils begin their march into this world, bleed, Ballspawn. Bleed for my master. He sliced across my palm with his wicked blade, and my blood drained into the ground beneath us, and the vault lit up with an ominous glow. The ground shifted, swirling into the bright mass of a portal, open directly to the Nine Hells. Heffernan cackled as he fell into the portal. Kalar growled, her eyes radiating with divine fury. With sheer force of will, she broke the paralysis that bound her, and the enchantment fell off her crusaders as well. Luckily, her eyes were not fixed on me and my paralysis, but to the infernal portal on the floor. Heffernan, what have you done? I will not let him corrupt our work by bringing forth an army of fiends. Crusaders, with me! Kayla, without hesitation, leapt into the portal, and her crusaders followed after with equal resolve. A few moments later, and we regained our own movement. Behind us, the vault doors had been shut, likely by our own soldiers thinking we were already lost to a horde of rampaging devils. Can't say I blame them. But that left us with only one way to go. I looked at my friends, Minsk, Dinah here, Captain Cohen, McKean, and my darling Glint. And Boo! Yes, yes, Minsk and Boo. We all held each other's hands, and with a silent nod, jumped into the portal together. You can't forget Boo. <laughs> yeah, it's a crime against all humanity. Oh, man. <laughs> These are getting turned on its head. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Switching around, stakes being raised. Mm -hmm. Now Kalar's now Kalar's stuck on Heffernan. He is messed <laughs> up big time. Yeah. yeah. Heffernan's sneaky, sneaky little boy. Those burning eyes are going after him now. <laughs> I think, think the Callius can take a step back like, okay. Yeah, it's really fun. Con finally confronting these 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 people you've been working against uh, for the whole time and seeing seeing all these all these loose ends come to a head here. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I like that they all jump into the portal together too. It almost feels like this is the final final battle, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. the final 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 battle. Yes, yeah. It has, it has a, it does have a little bit of that feeling of like oh god oh no there's this whole thing happening that they have been <laughs> they have been setting up. Yeah, uh, you know, releasing the dead from hell. So it makes sense that okay, no, no, I actually have to go into hell and fight. <laughs> so it makes sense again that this this game was coming out not long before they had the the Wizards of the Coast official D and D book Descent into Avernus. Oh. So it's kind of like it's a little bit of okay, you get like a taste for that before it's like okay, do you want to play a whole campaign like this? Because um, Ryan and I are actually doing that in my campaign that I'm DMing mm -hmm. for. Wow. I'm running based on Baldur's Gate. Descend over us. So, which actually, I had to take the Baldur's Gate out of that game because I'm doing it in my own world. But <laughs> it's okay. It's a whole time. I, I really like that Kalar is still like, come on, 
join Michalius. You could have chosen to do the righteous thing. Like, she still only sees Callius as this ball spawn, and he's choosing death and killing over saving these people. Again, still kind of affirming that she has, she is the antagonist here. Like, she's presenting the problems to Callius, but ultimately what she's trying to do is, is bring people back to life because she believes she can, and rallying the world around her to bring these people back, which I think is really interesting. I think it's really interesting too. Like it makes so much sense now that why she's okay with so many people dying because she doesn't see them as dead. She plans on bringing them back. So really it's not sacrifice so much as, you know, just a plan to bring all these people back. So it makes so much sense why she doesn't see that as death or, or destruction that she's caused it rather, you know, it's just all part of the plan to get everybody back. And, it's, and it sounds like particularly one person back from this dream that the Callies have with, with Kalar in it. Yeah, we keep having that mystery of you, you're having these dreams all throughout the game that are they're kind of these like, uh, kind of unsure, like cryptic things, but always end with this, this massive, like, horrifying creature murdering you at the end of them. You know, a typical thing. Yeah, you're normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Normal things like that. You guys don't have drinks of that? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, no. <laughs> no, he's a ball spawn. I knew it. <laughs> All right, Jesse, just like we talked about. <laughs> okay. I mean, I woke up and right. I had to buy a new mattress that I, you know, I had this weird, like, burning, like, uh, you know, symbol in it. I woke up. I don't know why. I just figured everyone had that problem, you know? I bought a bed liner and called the good. I don't know. <laughs> Is this fire resistant bed liner? Like, what? <laughs> but I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah. I, I've never heard hell depicted in D&D before, so I'm very curious as to mm-hmm. kind of what that entails, what that looks like. It's, it's, as you might guess, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. It's a bad, bad place to be. I was to say, if it doesn't like, you know, I, if the next words were like, I'm not looking at the script right now, it's so like, you know, I walked down and there's just all clouds and beautifulness. And <laughs> that would be a fun yeah. twist. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be a good that'd twist, be yeah. Maybe, I bet, maybe the higher planes of hell, well, no, you probably explicitly know how terrible they are, but I imagine they're probably like, not that terrible. They kind of, they kind of get Okay. Um, <laughs> We fell into a blinding white light, and it felt like my insides were leaving my body. But the next moment, my feet hit what felt like ground. After the initial nausea subsided, the smell of sulfur and brimstone assaulted my nostrils. Acrid, smoky air stung my eyes, and I already felt sweat as a roiling heat enveloped me. The ashy ground crunched beneath my boots, and the sounds of churning lava boiled around us, accompanied by the bitter moans of the damned. A barren, fiery wasteland extended as far as we could see. This was Avernus, first of the Nine Hells. Dark growls emerged from the wastes, and fiendish devils sprang from the shadows to attack us. The devils took a number of hellish forms, from dragon-like humanoids with razor-sharp teeth, to swarms of flying imps with stinger tails, to pitiful, melted creatures languishing and moaning. We used all we had to push back the evil fiends, but more kept coming. We ran, following the trail of bodies of the Crusaders, while fleeing from the monsters of Avernus. We came to a basalt tower, and we rushed in to follow Kalar. An iron rock platform rose higher into the tower above us, lifted by heavy, black chains. Kalar had already started her way up. There was a second platform, and we used it to start the ascent as well. At the apex of this dark fortress, 
we arrived to a scene of chaos. Kalar and her remaining soldiers fought with more devils, and behind them, on a blackened stone throne, was a massive fiend with elongated horns sprouting from the top of his head. He stood twice as tall as a grown human, adorned with ornate golden armor and two large, broad cleavers at his side. Heffernan stood smugly at the throne's side, watching the battle unfold. Behind them both were numerous cages, swaying over the edge of the tower, each large enough to hold a person. Caleb broke through the ranks of the devils, charging at the large throne the fiend. You know what I want, Belhafet. Release him. You make a mockery of your uncle's sacrifice in coming here, Asimar, but I will grant you your desire, after a fashion. The archdevil Belhafet rose from his throne. You and your uncle On will be together again. Your cage will hang next to his. The devil Belhafet noticed as our party approached. Ah, the child of Baal. Welcome, welcome. You're just in time to witness the fall of Kalar Argent. Kalar scowled at her former right hand, who merely gave her a smug smile standing under the shadow of his true master. The rest of Kalar's crusaders now lay slain, dead at her feet. Damn you, Heffernan. It was your treachery that brought me to this. My treachery and your arrogance, shining lady. This is the secret of Kalar's crusade, Callius the Humble. There is only one soul in Avernus Kalar has ever cared for. Her uncle, On Argent, the man who sacrificed all to save her. Is this true, Kalar? No. No! If I could have freed the dragon spear dead, I would have. But you could not. No one could. And in your heart of hearts, you knew that. Belhafet laughed. <laughs> Heffernan continued. All in vain. She never forgot her uncle's sacrifice, never forgave herself for his loss, and never stopped seeking a way to restore him. And now I have a ball spawn to add to my collection. You... And Argent, Kalar, all be part of my menagerie of souls. Belhafet delivered a lightning-fast kick to Kalar, his massive hooves sending her sprawling back towards us. Blood trickled from her lips as she attempted to stand. Her face was pained with grief, regret, and desperation. She fell back to her knees, supplicated before the devil. You have defeated me, Belhafet. I see that now, but consider a moment the ways I might be of use to you. The voice of Kalar's uncle, On, rang out from the cage hanging behind Belhafet. Kalar, no! Don't do this! Belhafet lifted a wicked eyebrow. You would serve me, Kalar Argent? You would be a blackguard in service to Belhafet? No! Kalar... You can't have fallen so far as that. Fight with me. Belhafet's death will be the first stone laid on the path to your redemption. After all I have done, you would have me at your side? So be it. The Child of Baal and the Shining Lady will stand together against this devil's darkness. 
Together, Kalar and I rushed towards the behemoth of a devil. I got Belhefet's attention and avoided his massive blades with illusory doubles and blinks of teleportation. While he was distracted, Kalar sliced through with her divine blade, glowing with holy light. Dynahir blasted him with spears of ice while McKean summoned a swarm of insects to bite at his face. Heffernan moved to help his master, but Captain Corwin took him down with a few well-placed arrows. Minsk and Glint ran up and slammed at the back of Belhavet's legs, bringing him to his knees. Kalar took the opportunity to leap and plunge her blade deep into Belhavet's chest. After all this time, this cannot be the end. This cannot be... Belhavet screamed to the void as his vile body disintegrated into nothing but ash. Kalar walked proudly despite her wounds and freed her uncle from his infernal prison. I can scarcely believe it. Everything I did, every sacrifice I made, all to reach this moment. You are free at last, uncle. I know not what you did to make this happen, Kalar. Whatever it was. The cost was too great. Tell him, Kalar. Tell him the price. The Sword Coast bore that he might be freed from Belhavet's clutches. A heavy toll was paid by me and those who followed me. A heavier one still was exacted from those who stood in my path. Am I without regret? No. Would I do it again without hesitation? You may admire me or not, as you wish. I am an Argent. I hold myself to the highest standard. I know I did evil, though I did it in pursuit of good. I must answer for my crimes. Captain Corwin stepped forward and grabbed Kalar by the arm, pulling her along. And you will, once we're out of this damned inferno. Let's go. We returned to the portal Heffernan had opened from Dragonspear Castle. However, Kalar declared that she would not be returning. She said the portal could only be closed from this side, and that any who wished to cross it would have to face the Shining Lady first. Kalar's uncle aunt stepped forward. Kalar, no! I will not allow it. Uncle, please go now. Do what you can to redeem the Argent name of the shame I brought upon it. I beg you. May Lathander's light shine upon you, child. And with that... We left Avernus behind, and Kalar Argent along with it. Our party stood back in the vault from which we came. The rift twixt the worlds ah, is now closed. It's done. Thank the gods. We are home, boo! I went to Avernus and came back. I really did. And nobody who wasn't here will ever believe it. Hell's closed. That's good. Still trapped, though. That's not so good. Luckily, we were able to convince the soldiers barricading the vault doors that no devilish invasion was imminent, and we were eventually released. The last of the Crusaders had fled Dragonspear Castle, and the portal to Avernus was closed. There was nothing left to do now but celebrate our victory. By the time we finally rested after the celebrations, oh, it was the wee hours of the morning. At some point, I had woken up, Glint cuddling up next to me. I gave him a kiss as he slept, and left to find a latrine somewhere in this broken-down fort. Ugh. However, 
I walked into the next chamber to see a familiar hooded figure and Ski Silvershield standing next to him, panic in her eyes as her body was frozen. Ski Silvershield, born into privilege, yet driven to rebel against the destiny her father mapped out for her. She has been challenged, as you have. Has she proven worthy, or have been found wanting? Let us see. What? What's happening? I... I don't understand. The hooded man circled his hands in a dark incantation. I didn't have time to reach Ski before she erupted in a sickly yellow light, blinding me. When my vision cleared, all that was left was the unknowable horror from my dreams, now in the flesh in front of me. Sharp spines jutted out from its limbs and its head. Its void-like eyes held me in its gaze while saliva dripped between its razor-sharp teeth. The hooded man was gone, and walls of magical flame burst forth to block the exits from the room. But as the creature lifted its claws to strike, I darted away as the horror's claws dug into the stone where I stood. I could move now, but I had no armor, no weapons, and no exit in sight. The creature roared and charged towards me. I left again to avoid being impaled on its claws, lending hard on the stones. The creature turned to stand over me, poised to kill. I felt something next to me. A dagger. It was all I had. It was now or never. Before the horror's talons rended me to pieces, I pushed forward and plunged the dagger into its heart. The horror let out a terrifying scream before it collapsed, dead. And I found my vision blurry, fading. The strength from my body ebbed as I blacked out. I was awoken later by the sounds of armored footsteps. I looked around to see the same walls where I fell, but the fires were now gone. Corporal Duncan had run in, his eyes wide in terror. But where he should have been looking at the horror's remains, there was only Ski Silvershield a bloody wound at her heart. She lay there, dead. What, what have you done, Callius the Humble? What have you done? I got what words out I could, still fighting for consciousness. Uh, uh, th there was a monster. It, it, it attacked me. There is only one monster here. The one that stood on Borsky Bridge. A skull scorched into the stone around him. The one covered in Ski Silver Shield's blood. May the gods help you. No one else will. A dozen Flaming Fist soldiers filed in behind the corporal, aghast at the scene. From the other side of the room, my friends entered. Similar shock on their faces. In the name of the Council of Four, you are under arrest for the murder of Ski Silver Shield. Oh, man. Oh, I feel so bad. Oh, yeah. No, this is definitely like the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Father's Gate 2. Mm -hmm. It's... That's crazy. What a turn. I feel bad. I like Ski. I thought she was a very, like, funny side character. I was not expecting her to just die. Like... Yeah. Wow. It's, it's all a very sudden scene of things happening, and you're... you're 
because every in the game every dream you have it, it just is basically like a cutscene this creature kills you and now this is the first time that you have you have agency you have movement to try and fight back against it but it's all it's all turned against you oh i must like the hood man is way deeper involved in this whole story than we all realize or than anyone realized yeah, until yeah. Now. He's, he's got some stuff oh that is so sad. I wanted to be like, yay, you know, success, everything worked out well. It leaves like a sour taste in your mouth, you know, like, ah. Oh. And Ski's pretty young, right? Like, this is like a younger teenager-ish or old, a young adult? Somewhere probably around there, at most probably like early 20s. Okay, okay. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, I wasn't seeing this coming. Ryan, how you feeling? Are you, are you sad? I mean, we just had, yeah, yeah, I mean, I am. It, it's a very sad to see this happen to Ski. We also just had, like, so much just happened with going to Avernus and, um, you know, Heffernan's plot coming undone and us going into Avernus to fight him. And then we partner with um, Argent and we kill this devil um, and then we escape, but she stays behind because she has done... So we ultimately found out that she wasn't actually... She knew she wouldn't be able to... Or maybe she didn't know, but deep down she knew. She was only really able to save her uncle. All of this was only for her uncle. Um, and she kind of... I don't know if she fooled or tricked, or maybe she believed in some part of her. Believed that maybe she could save others, but that... why? And then she stayed behind in Avernus to kind of pay for her crimes. Um... And then we have this really big moment and we feel like we get to a resolution and this hooded man who's just been watching comes and just does this really interesting dark turn. Um, he apparently has the ability to either convince, trick Callius or turn people into beasts. Um, one of those. But then now puts all of this in a different light because nobody else knows what Calli- what happened when those doors closed, those vault doors closed. Except Callius and his friends. Um, so I'm sure that will just lead to more speculation. Which this is, I think, this has done a really good job of setting this up right at the beginning. When we see when he's leaving, people are like starting to have doubts. And the bridge happens, and more people are starting to have doubts. And now, you don't need to have much doubt because there's a body and he's covered in blood. I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when I like that arc in this one where you leave the city off to stop, you know, this entire crusade. You're the hero of Baldur's Gate. You know, everyone's kind of there on your side. A few naysayers, but they're quickly drowned out. But now it's just all come to a head. And now everything everyone thought about you, they'll now think they were totally right mm-hmm. on. And it's this just this fall down to a, like almost like worse than nothing. You're now considered like evil and a villain and a monster. Yeah, it's gone from the bottom to the top and back to the bottom again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. It's it's still playing around with the idea of like, can you ever actually escape your heritage? Can you actually escape your fate? Because no matter what Callias has done, this part of him, which he maybe doesn't even fully understand, is still affecting him and in some way. Although we did see, you know, uh, an Asimar, a, a divine, a divine being. They made an evil choice, or they made a choice that maybe wasn't righteous, so maybe that was a hint that maybe you're not bound, but in this moment, Kellyus is. I, I mean, last chapter, I, <laughs> I kind of didn't even know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Over the next several days, I was taken back to Baldur's Gate to face justice for Ski's murder. The memory of the night still held blurry in my head. 
I know there was a monster. Where had that dagger come from? Why wasn't it still in Ski's chest when I awoke? I wondered if I truly had murdered the girl. I had the dark seeds of my lineage finally taken root. The question left me unsettled. At Baldur's Gate, I was taken to testify before the dukes and the people of the city. Where just weeks before, I had left cheering crowds applauding the hero of Baldur's Gate. I now was dragged through the street, pelted by the judgment of angry mobs. Shame! Shame on you and all who called you a hero! None shall mourn your passing fiend. Abomination! We revered, revered an heir of Baal, and damned ourselves in the doing. No mercy for Silver Shield Slayer. You're no better than Saravok. Child of murder, evil poisons your blood. Death to the traitor, death to the false hero. Duke Belt presided over the testimony. Corporal Bence once again recounted the incident at Borsia Bridge and what he saw at Dragonspear. I gave testimony to my deeds that were well known throughout the land. I not only stopped Saravok, but I also halted the chaos caused by Kalos' crusade. I pled that I was innocent. After all witnesses had spoken, Duke Belt announced I would be kept in custody until the council reached a decision. I was taken to a cell much like when I had been framed by Saravok for killing the leaders of the Iron Throne. I lay in wait for my sentence for a time, when I heard footsteps arrive before my cell. It was Captain Corwin. Good morning, Callie Stumble. Her face was serious, and her voice strictly professional. Is it morning? It's hard to tell in here. I'm not here to discuss the time. I'm here to ask you to end this madness. The city's endured much of late. The Iron Crisis, Saravok, the Crusade, now this. The dark days must end, and they won't. Not with you languishing here claiming innocence. If you care for Baldur's Gate, even a little, admit your crime. Accept the punishment given you. I fought and bled for Baldur's Gate. I've nearly died for it more times than I can count. I care about the city. But I won't admit to a crime I did not commit. Maybe you are innocent. Maybe the eyes of all those who saw you standing over Ski's corpse deceived them. It doesn't matter. The city is all that matters now. My father taught me that a hero, a real hero, is prepared to sacrifice himself for the greater good. They called you the hero of Baldur's Gate. Now you have a chance to earn that name. Goodbye, Callies. Corwin left without another word. I sat in the dark cell an hour, several hours. I did not know. Eventually, another pair of footsteps approached, smaller, quicker. The large, excited eyes of Glint Gardner Sunson greeted me, a sad smile on his face. I pressed up to the cell bars. Aya! Oh, it's you, Glint. I feared. I was afraid I'd never see you again. You almost did. I needed time to come to terms with what you... What they say you did. And I still haven't. Uh, did you kill her? I, I saw you, you know. The blood on your hands. I don't want to believe it. So, I won't. Be strong, Callius. I will find a way to get you out of here. 
It was a relief to see Glint again, to know someone out there believed in my innocence. I did not have long to enjoy the feeling, though, as someone else approached. There, in front of my cell, obscuring what little light flickered outside from the torches, was the hooded man. Chains become you, child of Ball. The people you saved have turned on you, treating you as some nightmare made flesh. How does it feel to be trapped in a cell after all you've done for the city? You. You were there from the very beginning. You're behind this. What game are you playing? I've warned you of the darkness running through your veins. Divine blood is not to be trifled with. Without control, power is not but peril. But I am confident you will survive this. A greater destiny awaits. I looked at the hooded man and the etches of the scars visible around his mouth and chin. His eyes began to burn with a magical radiance from beneath the concealment of his hood. I felt the presence of his magic pressing into my mind. Recent memories flooded into me. I was back beneath the Dragon Spear Castle, where I had found the hooded man and Ski. Rise. It is time. You know what you must do. Embrace the darkness coiling within you. The hooded man stood next to Ski. Her body stood frozen, her eyes darting with terror. Muffled sounds came from her mouth, but she spoke no words. I stepped closer. The hooded man presented a dagger. The one I had used to kill the horror. The Soul Taker Dagger. Take the dagger. Kill her. My mind felt clouded. I, I didn't feel real. But still, I kept my hands at my sides. I would not do it. Take it. Even now you resist. You are more powerful than I thought. He took hold of the dagger in his own hand. All that I truly require is your presence. He plunged the dagger with his own hand into the heart of Ski Silvershield, and she fell to the floor, blood pooling around her. Shadows enveloped my sight. The memories swirled into a hazy fog. I heard the hooded man's voice, but it was real now, in the present. I was back on the floor of my cell. I had collapsed. Curious. Your mind is not so open to me as it once was. You resist my will. Your power grows, child of Ball. Awake. Tell me, what did you see? It was you. You killed Ski Silvershield. You set me up. Despite my efforts, you remember. Impressive. The truth will come out. Maybe not today, or tomorrow, but soon. Of that I have no doubt. You will escape this place. We will meet again. Fear that meeting, child of Ball. We have so far to go together. And with that, the hooded man simply walked away, out of sight from my cell. Oh, I knew it! I had been framed! Again! God damn it! Oh, there was still only so much I could do locked up here, with righteous anger burning in my heart. I reluctantly rested for the time being. When I awoke, I was greeted by Duke Belt, along with two guards. I knew right there I could tell him I knew who Ski's killer was, and that I was innocent. But I knew I had no name, 
and no proof to convince him. The Duke informed me that he and the Council agreed that I would not be hanged, but instead exiled from the city of Baldur's Gate, never to return. They did not feel execution was a worthy fate for the Slayer of Saravok and Champion of Dragonspear. One of the guards would escort me to the tunnels that would lead me out of the city. Duke Belt wished me a kind farewell and left. Soon after, I was escorted to the tunnels below the city. The gate was locked behind me, but the guard called out to me before I left. Before you go, there's something I would say to you. My cousin was at Bridgefort. The crusade had the place surrounded, but you got everyone out alive. You saved her. You saved the city from Saravak. You saved the Sword Coast from the Nine Hells. I don't care what anyone says about you. You're a hero. That's all there is to it. Farewell, Callius the Humble. I wandered through the dark tunnels, alone. Until eventually, I came to a moonlit night and the sounds of animals and insects chirping in the woods. The nearby bushes rustled, and a figure emerged. Hey, over there. It was Imowen. Oh, never had I felt such joy or relief. She ran to me, and I embraced her tightly in my arms. You made it. That's great. I was scared you wouldn't. Oh, Imowen. How did you know where to find me? Duke Janath told me what was happening. She offered to send a messenger if I wanted to keep training with her, but I... No. I wouldn't do that to you. I'm so sorry, Callius. I should have never let you go to Dragonspear without me. Oh, that's alright. I missed you too. More than you know. Well, we're together again now. That's the way it's going to stay. I'm not letting you out of my sight ever again. Come on. The sooner away from here, the better. Imowen turned and waved to another conspicuous set of bushes nearby. Hey, everyone. I got him. I watched as Minsk, Dinahir, Jahira, and Khalid revealed themselves. Rejoice, Boo! Our friends have returned to us! Oh, it is good to see thee, Callius the Humble. I am glad the Council saw past thy blood to thy heart. Uh, this viper's pit of a city has wronged you, Callius, but you are not alone. Do not let despair overtake your heart. You have your freedom at least, and with freedom there is hope. <laughs> well, well met, friend. Uh, do not be disheartened in what has happened. Gorion believed in your goodness, and so will those who accuse you in time. I am sure of it. Could we maybe talk about this someplace? You know, far away from here? Um, before we do that, I need to thank you, all of you, for joining me in my hour of need. The Council of Four might not be willing to stand by you, but I always will. Now let's get some distance between you and Duke Silvershield, all right? Forward! We headed off in the forest together. I still had hope with my closest friends beside me. As we traveled further, however, deeper into the woods, a mist rose up all around us. I lost sight of my friends. The sounds of clashing steel rang out through the air. I called out their names, but no one responded. A sharp pain hit my neck. I reached and pulled out a dart of some kind, laced with poison. I heard the shouts of my companions as they fought, the sounds growing duller 
fading further away, cloaked figures approached through the mist. The ground swayed beneath me, and my vision blurred. I was surrounded with no sight of my friends, as the world around me faded to grey. And that <laughs> is the end of Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragonspear. Oh, man. That was so that good. That was really good. Yeah, what a that great story. So <laughs> Jesse, your storytelling is fantastic as always. Wonderful. Like, yeah. Seriously. Thanks. So good. So good. <laughs> wow. So, like, in, in Baldur's Gate 2, I haven't gotten to it. I, 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 <laughs> I just want to know more. <laughs> yeah. What a good job this does of just kind of giving this nice vignette of here is some more time for this character of, with Callius, who is the only one who will ever fill this Baldur's Gate gap now. What, to get some more time with the Bellspawn, Callius, to where he, he does this, he, he goes off on this adventure, he faces some of his demons, but really, this is all just kind of a trial for him to see if he how he handles this this divine blood that is within him and to just really explore what happens when this pushes up against other parts of the world and ultimately can he ever escape who he is and we do find out in the end he wasn't the one who killed um ski it was the hooded man but still there's that doubt there and there he and the hooded man had some way to like tap into callius and in some way control him in a really interesting way that it, it just so well sets up Baldur's Gate 2 that I, I just cannot wait. I just really want to know if, if mention of Ski's murders is present in Baldur's Gate 2 because it came out before this. So yeah. I, want, I just really want to know how much of this impacts I, that. Since I have not, the only thing I've played of Baldur's Gate 2 so far is just to start it because I just wanted to, because I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but when you play Baldur's Gate, you can also load in your own custom character portraits and your own voice lines. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> so I made I made all new voice lines for Callius because I was sick of hearing the same ones. It shall be done. Like, oh my god, I know. I mean, there is an option to turn it off, but I still like hearing the lines. It's just like okay, new ones for this game. <laughs> um, but I do know that Baldur's Gate Two begins pretty much where this one leaves off. You just wow. captured. Yeah, not too much of a gap in between. Mm -hmm. So, but then after that, I know pretty much nothing about the game um so yeah i was thinking that too like yeah they set up this whole thing specifically with ski being murdered so i'm like that must have been a weird because technically if you're playing Baldur's gate one and then playing Baldur's gate two it would just be you beat saravok and then you're captured <laughs> and apparently yeah. framed for murder yeah so it, this is interesting that it's i get this connecting tissue first so it'll be interesting to see how much Baldur's gate Two supports that, given what they've put into this game that came out later. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That's so cool. Definitely going to just a, a big low point here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah Framed yeah. for murder. You and all your friends get kidnapped by some people. Yeah, mm -hmm. very, very Empire. Very like this is the second act, right? Where, where? Yes. You've, you've, you've accomplished something, but ultimately not your big goal. And in the end, we're all in maybe a worse place than we were when we started. But it's, it's it, again, it's a really great place to take a story because then you get to kind of see another side of this character. No longer the hero, but is this kind of exiled, um, shamed hero. And how, how does that, how do you handle that? And how do you win back that 
Um, and how do you face this figure who is seemingly knows more about you and what's going on than you do? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to play Kelly super evil in Marvel Team. Mm-hmm. He's just going to snap. He's going to be like, you know what? <laughs> Screw it. Everyone wants me to be a murderer? Guess what? You're, 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 you're. Very, very big twist. In this. Yeah. He has the loot. He's just hanging people over the <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Brian, let's start with you. Overall, how do you feel about the story of Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragon? I, I mean, it's, again, it's so hard to, overall, I really liked it. It is so hard to disassociate Jesse's telling of this story from whatever the story might be. This is the only story in my mind, and I really love it. I really love the characterization of all the characters. I love their interaction. We, we get such this, like, tight family bond that has been created, you know, through this story that kind of goes throughout like i said it's just a really interesting trial that Callias has had to experience and now we're in a really great place i I really liked it i think it was really worthwhile to tell this story and i think it was really worthwhile for them to go back and and fill this gap out because it just makes everything more meaningful i think i i totally agree i i think that this is such a fun story i can't imagine it with anyone but Callias. so (laughs) it's just so good and i think the way that they did it it really connects the first game to the second game so well it ends kind of you know really puts a nice bow on the end of the first game and kind of sets up for the second game and kind of what happens from there. So I'm super intrigued. Um, and uh, Minsk is my favorite character. Besides Callius, don't get me wrong. Callius is my favorite. I think Minsk is just, he's just, I, I totally see it now. He's just so cool. He's so cool. <laughs> Minsk is definitely like a must-have in the game if you never play it. Yeah. There's like, uh, yeah, which is, I again, just a, just a shout-out to anyone. If you go back and play Baldur's Gate 1, when you get Minsk, whatever you're doing, go save Dinah here. Because if you don't do it quick enough, Minsk will get angry and try to kill you, and you'll have to kill him. Oh my and god. If you want to stop that, then you have to like reload to whatever the last save you could do that is, which I had to do. I was like, no. <laughs> so go go to Dinah here right away. Go go get his friend, because he, need, he needs her. <laughs> Solid advice. <laughs> yeah. But Jesse, overall, I think your your input is arguably most important here. What do you think about the story? Oh, that's right. I wanted to say that you were mentioning Minsk, and I wanted to mention um, uh, just just for the for the for the for the people at home, Minsk mm. is in Baldur's Gate too, uh, and rumored to be in Baldur's Gate three. I would be so <laughs> happy if he was in Baldur's Gate three. I'm just waiting until they put a bard class mm. in there. And then I'm getting that early access. But right now there's no bards to play, so I'm like, uh-oh. Um, so that should be a fun time. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this game. Um, there's so much that happened into it. In the game, there's a lot of like different side quests and like whole dungeons and things you can do that aren't, you know, it was too much to just pack into the story, but even just the main part, it just had, it had this really nice big build up to this huge battle playing through, like there's a part where your camp gets attacked and you have to like give orders um, and then you actually attack and it's like this huge battle, like bigger than any other fight in the games where you're just battling the Crusade soldiers and, and it all ends with these, these just big climaxes and these kind of tackling these more more complicated kind of gritty ideas in this in what is traditionally in kind of a D story and it was just filled with a lot of fun fun characters and things to do and it, it was it was a really fun time to play so i hope it was a fun time for 
everyone to listen to. It has to be. Like, it was so good. Jesse, yeah. again, great job on the, on the script and the, and the storytelling. Fantastic. Well, thank you both. I wouldn't have this, this platform to give it if you guys didn't set up this whole podcast and do all the effort and work and creativity and time that this takes to set up and make. So. Thank you. I, I think thank you all for having me. Of course. Come, please come yeah, back. I can't please, wait. Anytime. You I get to go start Baldur's Gate 2 tonight. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And come back even, even if you don't beat Baldur's Gate 2 for a while. Come back even before that if you want to. To talk some Sonic Adventure. Uh, I, oh, yeah. We totally could. <laughs> that we could do Sonic Adventure. That would be or, fantastic. Or other games oh, that you're excited okay. about, Jesse. If, if you. <laughs> Absolutely. No, if it was Sonic Adventure 2, I'd have to watch it. Because I'm not, <laughs> not going through all those ghosts. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> The story goers, as always, let us know what you think about the stories you cover, what you think about Baldur's Gate, Siege of Dragon Spear. Let us know by emailing us what your thoughts, feelings, and perspectives are to talesfromthecartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. DM us or comment on our posts. Let us know what you think. We will happily share those on the show. You can also get a really cool sticker, which Jesse, we still have to send to you. We're going to. That's my goal. Oh my God. Send you a sticker. So excited for the sticker. Yes. So you're definitely welcome to it. It makes my day. Uh, and we hope you come back. Jesse, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been fantastic <laughs> as always. It's a pleasure having you. Yes. Yeah. Pleasure being here. Anything you want to uh, shout out, uh, social media-wise, or anything products you're doing, or anything like that? Oh, this is probably the most I'm on any social media things. It's okay. just doing these things, so just just promote this more. Okay. Yes. Send this out to people. <laughs> we'll do. Yeah, that'd be great. Remember what hashtag #WhyNoCal. Hashtag why no cal, yes. yeah. We're doing why, it. We're doing it. Why? What, like, just we need to hold Wizards of the Coast accountable to why they haven't made any published material featuring my single character that i've never told you about. <laughs> but you know what it's a character that's fleshed out now mm-hmm. well yeah 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 when they listen to this they'll know about it because yes. we know wizards of the coast is listen mm-hmm. yes they have Why to yeah what else, they, what else are they like, doing <laughs> yeah fair they just came yeah. out with a book they got some downtime yeah they're probably <laughs> sitting back drinking pina coladas on the beach like oh I'll listen to this podcast and they're about to get their minds blown <laughs> we'll never get we'll never get jesse back on the podcast it'll be too bad really too too busy. Busy. Really busy. sorry guys this is the last one on. i got a meeting I'll with see. with with wizards and they're um, we're putting a book together i'll talk to you later <laughs> we're gonna see like news reports about callius being in, in Baldur's gate three like, yeah that's amazing <laughs> The main character in a new um, single-player RPG made by Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, the character customization is just Callius, and then it's like, it's like, okay, what's the next option? It's just also Callius. Yeah. With the with the with the eye mask on. With the, yeah, it's either Callius and no, oh, it's like it's like Wind Waker. You got to beat it all the way through, and then the second playthrough, you unlock PJ Callius. Yeah, that'd be amazing. That'd yeah. be amazing. All right, Wizards, you know what you have to do. Yeah. Wizards, you know what you have to do. But again, as always, thank you, Sorgors, for listening. I hope you're happy and well, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye! Bye. My hotel is as clean as an elven arse.